Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, that show that you love so very much. I'm Matthew. No, I'm Judah. This is a show that's for me and Judah. Basically. Especially these weeks. We are inviting you in. Yes, half of the shows are Star Trek episodes, and this is one of those. This is a Star Trek's episode. I saw a friend last weekend that I hadn't seen in a while, and she was like, oh, you're doing a podcast. Um, what's that about? And then when I said, well, every other week, <laughs> you know. we watch... Five episodes of Star Trek. Oh, you to actually see explained it. Which Star Trek series had the best week? She was like, "Nah, though." Yeah, well, that's yeah. yes, which that's is correct. The right answer. She gave the right answer. Uh, and if someone went, for- "Oh, that's really intriguing," I'd be, "You're a fucking liar." Well, that would be a lie. I don't want to finish this conversation with you because you're clearly a liar. It would definitely be a lie, and I always have to explain that I don't think that this is a valid way to compare the series. Um, like the no. idea. This week, we are asking the question, which of these five Star Trek series had the best week 29? That's right, exactly. Which is in different seasons for different shows, and... No, the only real way to do it will be at the end to maybe average the scores and then say, according to our extremely specific criteria, this one overall was the best. According to a rubric we spent five minutes developing... What actually happened in week 29 will not be represented. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, it could be asking the question, which is better, Sanctuary or the Outrageous O'Connor, is not really material in the question of which is the better series. Anyway. Yep. And by the way, the, when we watch an episode like the Outrageous O'Connor, and we, we, we will get into it, I do more and more want to add a category that is just pure enjoyment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because. Because we can agree it's a goddamn delight. Because it is not art, and it is very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Since this is for us, uh, we've been, I think we realized pretty early on that we had a lot to say about TOS and TNG. Yeah, it usually takes up and, half the pot at least. And not so much to say about Voyager and Enterprise. Yeah. And we tried some different things to combat them, that idea. Like, in case it was fatigue, you first you and then later me, uh, we started watching them in reverse order. So the episode that scored the worst the previous week we would watch first. Yeah, trying to just um, again, I'm always trying to remove the unconscious biases. I was like, right. look, if it's just that by the end of the this long Star Trek project, if by the time I get to episode 5, I'm just pissed about having to watch Star Trek, am I taking it out on Enterprise? Um so yeah, that's why we we played with the order of viewing. And I don't think that really did anything for the scores particularly. I haven't noticed. But um it also did nothing to address the fact that we were out of steam at the end of the podcast. So we're going to apply that same logic this week and see how it goes. We're just going to discuss them in the reverse order that they scored last week. So we'll start with uh, with Deep Space Nine, which which finished worst last week. And we'll see if, um, I bet, 
I bet what'll happen is we'll be done with the first three an hour and 15 minutes in or whatever. All right, no, I guess this is going to be all mixed up. Yeah. TOS is going to be the last one because they won last week. So we'll see how it goes. Um, so yeah. nine. Minor format change. This week we watched Sanctuary. This one's all you, Janeth. <clears throat> Major Kira is a little overwhelmed on the station, balancing her duties on Deep Space Nine with her, what seems to be extracurricular involvement in Bajoran politics. Yeah. And the logistical side, particularly, I think. Mm-hmm. She's uh, still trying to do good work on Bajor, not just, you know, doing research on trail law and things like that up here for, uh, for El Cisco. Right. Uh, and she has also arranged for a, a a Bajoran art musician to play in Quark's bar in a deal that I would have loved to see go down because it makes no sense. She does have her hands in a lot of shit right now, it is clear. Ha- have to imagine that Why Quark is she setting up have... bar entertainment? That's a very good question. Quark must have seen this proposition and said he already had enough sticks, is what I'm thinking. Like, I have a Clon Peak joke in my notes. It, He's got he's got sex rooms upstairs that can do any kind of sex you can think of. This must have been one of those... It probably was cut for time. There probably was a scene where she threatened him in some way and made him take this dude on. I assume that she either threatened him or touched his ears, either of uh, which are gross. Yeah, that's not... Stroke my lobes. Ugh. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this good, good Bajoran musician is slowing down the rate at which he can bilk his customers, so he's not happy about that either. Right. Uh, a ship uh, that's in pretty obvious distress comes through the wormhole, and uh, Cisco beams uh, the four alien uh, astronauts, I guess, on board. Uh-huh. Um, but the Universal Translator can't understand their language. In an unnecessary and stupid twist, anyway. Uh, but everyone gets the idea that these aliens like Kira, so it becomes her problem to hustle them down to Dr. Bashir. And for some reason... She doesn't have enough going on. She's a fucking part-time promoter. She's fucking hustling on the streets. Jesus. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And for some reason, this time, uh, the infirmary is not close. So they gotta traipse all through the fucking promenade to get there, uh, which gives all of those guys the opportunity for some low-grade mime work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Or just basic um, voiceless clowning. Yeah. Silent clowning. Uh, anyway, the Universal Translator kicks in, so the first 14 minutes are kind of a time waster. Uh, we learn that the people are the Scria, and uh, there are three million of them on the other side of the wormhole, and they're kind of refugees. Like, they were kind of slaves, but then they were their slave masters were defeated by a race who are a, some kind of client or puppet race of the Dominion. Mm. So, ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, they're saying that word again. Yeah, they're doing a slow build. Uh, these old boys need help. They're trying to look for uh, their home world, the, uh, which, of course, is in a prophecy. It's prophecy yes, to be on, on the, the other side of the eye of the universe. Of, of course. I forget what it's called. Kentana? Kentana? Something like that? Sure, Okana. 
Uh, also, we learn that their society uh, is matriarchal. They don't really have any leaders, but I guess since this woman found her way to the wormhole, she's going to become their leader. Super lazy. Just a They're real own. lazy choice. They get together at Quark's for a real yep. informal chat sesh. And they go, I don't know, you found the place. I guess you, you go. So it's on you. Not it. Everyone says not it. And it's just her. Also mentioned, but never comes up as anything, they're polyamorous. Yep. This is just a throwaway in there. Throw also, it doesn't away. really matter that they're matriarchal either. Yeah. That's fine. They couldn't think of another reason why a woman would be in charge, except that that was the quirk of their society. Right. Couldn't just be that she's the prophet because she... It doesn't matter. Yep. None of this matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Kira and the lady... What's the lady's name? I watched this so oh, long ago now. Um... I'm not even sure I took down her name. Hanik. Her name is Hanik. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't write that down. Uh, they bond over an ugly dress. Yeah. Uh, Jake, uh, Jake and Nog have a little chat. Apparently, Jake went out with a Dabo girl. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, but it it soon becomes clear that the whole Jake and Nog arc is uh, just a setup for some good old fashioned racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. really comes to the fore when another one of these screen ships comes through the wormhole. Also, Nog plays a like a dumb prank. Like, not even a good prank. Yeah. He makes yeah. him stinky or something? Yeah, he, he, makes, him, he makes him smell bad. All right. Basically, he gives him itching powder, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, But it gives us an opportunity for uh quirk to come in to bail him out and uh and say a bunch of racist stuff yeah about how we don't want any of your kind here you're you guys are horrible because you don't buy things or i don't know what he yep, says Something exactly like um anyway uh, as was evident the moment the prophecy about the the planet cantana was announced uh mm. the woman decides that uh bejor is quite clearly cantana yeah, even though fucking Draylon 2 is just out there fucking looking looking real hot. Hot yep. and single. Yeah, Cisco and, and uh, company. And he brings people with him on this for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Dax and Kira, maybe. Uh, Cisco and company go to tell uh, the Skrian uh, ladies who are sort of the ruling council on board Deep Space Nine, because a bunch of ships have showed up by this time, about uh, this awesome planet they found for him, Draylon 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, the screens reveal their discovery that it's clearly Bajor and that they want to take their three million people and live on Bajor. Right. So Bajor uh, sends a very unqualified ambassador. And a Vedic. Who, and a Vedic. Uh, who could not be happier to tell them no. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They're yeah, so yeah. excited to tell them no. Right. Uh, this upsets the screens because, of course, they did the math and the end of days is in October 2011. That's right. And who are these Bajoran people to tell them that it's not true? Right. Um, and Hanit gets pretty shitty with Kira about the whole thing. Right. Like, I thought you were my friend. Our friendship of what, so many you, hours is, is a sham. You might as well wear that ugly dress. She doesn't say <laughs> yeah, it, but yeah. it's in That's subtext. That's exactly correct, yeah. Um... And then her um, her bad son, Tumac, right. uh, steals a ship and heads for Bajor. Is his brother Sir Mac? Or are they... I think so. Okay. I think he's related. Okay. 
but unfortunately he stole a busted ship and he's in some big danger. <laughs> yep. Then I wrote here, Cisco tells him to steer towards the atmosphere, which satisfies Remick pretty good. Remick was pretty impressed with that maneuver. Um, oh, whoops. Actually, the Bajorans have strict orders not to let any Skrian ships land, and her dumb son shoots at them and is blown up. I did get the feeling that Cisco had read that maneuver, had read about Picard saving that teenager, and he's like, check this out. I'm gonna, Everyone's going to be so impressed with me. They're gonna, Everyone's going to applaud on the bridge or whatever. And I guess yeah, that uh, him, I guess that that whole thing takes the bloom right off the rose of Bajor for yeah. uh, for this lady and the Screens head off to Draylon too, but not before uh, suddenly lecturing Kira. Yeah, yes about a, a about Bajor. Who? Let's be clear, Kira was not the decision maker on this whole thing. Yes, a goodbye lecture for her once friend Kira. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What dog. was this dang old episode about, Matthew? I think maybe this isn't so much of a, a, a take as just some helpful advice from the writers, which is that you should probably let some refugees settle in your country if the opportunity comes up. I think yeah, that I quite, think that's what they wanted us to come away with. It never quite rises to the level of a take. Uh, well, no, I mean it does. So clearly, they're doing a sci-fi thing here, right? Yeah. People don't want refugees. Mm-hmm. People will talk like they're sympathetic about refugees, but they don't want them in their backyard. Right. Yeah. Like, Bajor didn't want them, and they gave some, what, what on the surface sound like practical reasons, but they also chose some real, as you said, some real douches to deliver the message. Which made me think we, as the viewer, were not supposed to be on board with their decision. Yeah, and generally the way everybody treated the Skria outside of like Cisco and Kira was kind of rough, and it all ended bad. So I really thought I was just sitting there thinking, what did they want us to walk away with? And I think they wanted us to walk away with just fucking help them. It might yeah. not be easy, but it's it's like the kind thing to do when it's right. So I, it's very specific and not much of a take, but it sounds like good advice. I gave it a five. Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm in the same ballpark here. I kind of latched onto uh, her little lecture at the end. Okay. Uh, so here's what I wrote. Uh, it's easy and safe to turn away those in need, but if you do so, you may miss out on something good. Yeah, like maybe right. they could the make idea something of that, that farmland or whatever. They had all this dumb, empty, uh, bad land that the Cardassians had left behind, and here are these dumb people who want nothing more than to farm. Yeah. That's their whole goal, is just to not have to live in space on a bunch of ships with their five brother husbands. Right. Uh, and she and tells if that them, sounds dirty, it's just because that's what it would, because sister wives. Yeah. So it's brother it's, husbands. It's by, by analogy with so sister everybody wives. everybody just check your own, your own reactions. Um, so, to me, this gets a lot of points for being Star Trek-y. It's a Star Trek-y idea. Yes. In the next generation, if this was the next generation, Bajor would have taken them in. <laughs> yes, they would have. But because Picard this is Deep Space Nine, they don't, so we have to get that lecture at the end. Do you know why they don't? They know Picard to give a speech. Yeah, Cisco didn't sit down with the Bajoran douches who came up and give them a speech. <laughs> Kirk a probably could have, like, threatened Bajor into it. <laughs> yeah. Or something. He just would have, uh, he would have gone down and, uh... 
just destroyed all of Bajor's <laughs> tractors or something, so now they need That's manual right. labor. You would have found curt. a creative solution. In those two shows, uh, the the Scria would have ended up on Bajor. Yeah. In this one, they don't. Um, but I think I think there's something to that. I, anyway, I gave it as much as a seven for take. Okay. Because and it I think was that, good advice, and it was advice that sci-fi is would be expected to handle, really. And I think that this is the kind of thing that's sci-fi for a couple of reasons. And one of those is the thing that the Bajor, that the Bajorans are doing is we're outwardly sympathetic, but we really we don't want you here. And it's like those people don't think of themselves as having that attitude. Yeah. So you kind of need you need to come at it obliquely. Like you can't just say, "Hey, we should we should be more sympathetic in our treatment of refugees. We should really reach out and help them because people will already say, "Yes, we should do that, yeah, until it comes until push comes to shove, right, yeah, yeah. so uh, I give it as many as a seven points there, and uh if that is shocking to you, oh no, what's gonna happen right here? Then let's talk about execution. Okay. Oh my god, is that the Rocks music? Sorry, I was I thought something surprising was going to happen. Oh, like maybe the Rock was going to come out. Um so one thing I thought about this was they do end up kind of telling and not showing. Right. And at first uh that was that was dissatisfying to me. But then I thought about how they could have showed it. How they could have showed that Bajor would have been better off if they'd taken in these refugees. And the, since the immediate two things I thought of were forward jump in time. Yeah, that's bad. And orb experience. That's the same thing. Showing would have been pretty pretty bad. Yeah, those both here. feel like real make ups Yeah. So, I don't know how you would show in this scenario. You would have to have shown some little thing about how these people... I don't know. The... One of the kids could have helped Jake yeah. with his relationship with the Dabo girl or something, but it's like... <laughs> I think it would have been more powerful if they'd helped Nog, but yes. Yes. Uh, but the other the other thing is that this episode, I think, is kind of biting off a little more than it could chew. It's hard to do it in 40 minutes, isn't it? It is. This is, this is, this is a tough one for 40 minutes. So I started to think about what they could cut. Okay. To get more focus... And then, so the obvious cuts were the uh, Kira and Hanique friendship angle. Yep, not important. But that kind of shows that the people who actually get to know the refugees immediately see them as regular people and become sympathetic. Yeah, except even Kira was like, yeah, they told you no, and you know what, we can't take you. Like, Kira does seem to agree with the Bajoran decision. She kind of has to be talked into it. Yeah. So then I thought maybe you could cut the musician. Definitely you could cut that. Out dude. of this story. Fuck him. But then that sort of mirrors the idea that the people like you often see in our society how people who are involved in the arts or creative endeavors have more empathy towards the poor and disenfranchised. Mm. So they were so I thought, giving themselves a pat on the back cuz they they're in the arts, they think. The right. Yeah, well of, of course show. these guys all think that they're those guys, right? Yeah. Like this dude super wants Bajor to take these people in. 
uh, I thought it was uh, crazy weird that he gave them one of those Tashi Yard death holograms to that woman of himself playing his thing. It's like, the most that's egotistical. Be and it's, it's super, super egotistical. Here's what I had written down, and I'll, I'll just explain it first. He literally gave them a hologram of a performance he once did. Yep. It's like if he was like, as a token of friendship, here's my rocking in Western Ohio live licks concert compilation DVD from 1997. Yep, that's exactly what it's it is. It's like, um, I don't want this, and why are you giving this to me? It's such a weird, egomaniacal gift. So, um, then I thought that they could cut the whole Nog-Jake-Tumac conflict, but that's kind of the vehicle for introducing the racism and xenophobia elements. Yeah, otherwise there's just a lot of them walking around and Odo looks mildly put out. Yeah. And then I thought, well, this episode is not exciting enough for a two-parter. God damn, that's true. Unless this was half of a larger story, like maybe something happening on Bajor, or with a Federation world nearby that could end up being the solution to the Cantana problem. Boy, but what could be exciting enough that the people making the show would think it warranted a two-parter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I thought you could cut the polyamory and matriarchy angles, but that would save you exactly one minute. Because they didn't spend any time, yep. And uh, also, I think they probably thought it was easier to make the character a woman so that Kira could become friends with her quickly because Kira's the only Bajoran on this cast, which now that I think about it is kind of weird. Yeah, why aren't any of the... Why It should be, like, split, right? You should have some... There should at least fleets. be more than one. Well, Odo. Like, I mean, he's not Bajoran, but he works for the Bajorans. Like, we can't have a Bajoran doctor? We have to have Bashir? Well, it's because they're the natives and they don't understand medicine. I mean, I guess, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to be told? Well, that's what Bashir would say. I mean, he said it with his own mouth. So anyway, um, <clears throat> I talked myself into kind of a high score on this episode. Oh, because wow. every time I thought of something I didn't like about it, I was like, yeah, but... Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I gave it an 8. Okay. So we're going to be pretty different on this. Seems like we might be different. So uh, you may remember that at some point last week I asked you if you'd already seen this one. Oh, and this was why, because you found yourself giving alarmingly high scores. Right, I was confused Higher than you by, give to almost any episode. I was confused by what was happening. Yeah. Uh, here's by the way, this is a great point for me to say, I didn't enjoy this episode. Yeah, I didn't Not either. great to watch. It was very dull, I would say. Uh, in fact, you'll be able to tell because my quick hitters are... I've already given out half my quick hitters. Yep. Um, so here's what I thought about. Uh, just based on, on the execution of the take, I didn't think it was strong enough. It's all couched in, like, various political reasons for saying no and irrational reasons for demanding yes to settlement on uh, Bajor. You know, it all comes from a weird prophecy that they have. So it's not yep. like they have a really strong reason to settle there instead of Draylon 2, if you're the viewer. You know what I mean? Because they could just yep. go to Draylon, because that prophecy's garbage. Um, so it makes the whole argument not really worth having. Like, internally, in your own mind, or, like, if you're sitting and watching it with somebody at home. It's just yeah, kind the, of a story. In the story. real world, the... If you're a refugee, you end up at the nearest country that's yeah. reasonably stable. Yeah. And usually couldn't go any further. That's These right. people have working spaceships. They could have gone further. And Starfleet is willing to help them, like, the entire... Like, they're willing to basically set them up on Draylon 2. Yep. Like, we exactly. will get the job done for you. We will we'll have you sitting pretty on Draylon 2. So at home, you're just kind of like... Unless maybe maybe if you're super religious, it strikes some kind of chord. But uh, Or if you're a Zionist or something, I don't know. 
But if you're just like sitting and watching, like she wasn't led here by that prophecy. She fucking stumbled through the wormhole, recognized a couple of elements from the prophecy, looked at a station map, looked at a system map of Bejor and went, oh, this is it. This is the one. This is the spot. And then also they give it up too easy because if they really were religiously motivated, everyone knows what a zealot is like. You ain't going to just tell them to go away from Bejor. You know what I mean? Like they would have protested a little bit more than I'm pretty mad at you because I thought we were friends. Um I think they would have been better served making the Bajorans just be like, ew no. Be like Nog. Right. So that you could be more against the Bajorans, and then the if they'd give the Screens a more concrete reason for choosing Bajor, that's all I'm saying. But they just so didn't get after it. Too... I mean, subtle is not the right word. No, they, they just them... went with their first, their first take. Yes. So I, they, to me, they just didn't really get after it. They didn't. They, if that's if I'm right about what they wanted us to walk away with, then they didn't get after it. Um, also, this shit was boring as shit. I gave it a three. Oh. <laughs> so. So this is interesting. Um, the farthest we've ever been apart on an episode is ten points. But we're in either already... direction. We're already seven uh, seven points apart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. So now I gotta know what you... Well, let's before we do that, let's just check in with Ben real quick. Uh, ben gave it a five and a six in the top half. Okay. So he's kind of splitting the difference between us, I guess. Yeah, I think he is. Because I gave it an eight, he gave it an 11, and you gave it a 15. He says uh, diplomacy is difficult, especially when both sides have legitimate needs and concerns. Yeah. Uh, he... I think he thinks this is easier to do in sci-fi, though not really necessary. I think he, he was right on the money. I think uh, what he described is what the writers were thinking, too. Said, well, everyone's got good reasons. And it's like, well, you just took all the impact out of your story. Yeah. <laughs> what you've got is uh, it's a story and there's nothing to take away. Anyway, um, world building. What is Kira's job? I thought she was the liaison between Starfleet and Bajor. <laughs> it's a real good question. Why is she talking to some minister about irrigation on some peninsula? What does that have to do with her? Unless Starfleet's going to come in and help them. But Starfleet will just... We know Starfleet will just do whatever. Like, they'll just... What do you want us to do? Everything's free. Make water? Yeah, that's not a problem. Yeah, we here's can all the water, water you'll there. ever need. Like, uh, So I just... I don't really... I, I think feel like we need more clarification on exactly what the hell her responsibilities include. Especially because... Um, Cisco's mad at her in the beginning about some paperwork. Yeah, she ain't getting her paperwork done because she's doing all these other things. He didn't get them reports because she's too busy worrying about Bajor. Yeah, stop worrying about Bajor and do my reports. You work for me. Hey, I need those reports I think to read. He's probably expected to fill them out. And I think it's probably common practice for the commanding officer to just push that down the line. But that's why he's mad. Because he doesn't want to have to sit down and do these reports. Uh, this clown's music, this this guy who we were just complaining about his stupid gift he gave, uh, it sounds like the rejected theme for Deep Space Nine. Uh, it does. It definitely shares some ideas with the Deep Space Nine theme. At first, I thought that they were doing a straight up Trouble with Angels. Here's just a different version of the theme. Mm. This guy just plays it on his uh, 
weird Bajoran saxophone. Which sounds like a synthesizer. It which makes, I wrote sounds like Casio string patches, yes. <laughs> it makes the most common fucking synth noise that you could possibly make. What a garbage instrument. I don't want to be culturally insensitive to the Bajorans. Yeah, but, but they garbage. invented that 5,000 years ago, so well, they were way ahead of Casio. It's garbage. It's garbage either way. And anyway, so they probably did that on purpose then, right? They made that guy his music. I have to imagine. Or did they just hire the same guy to write that music that they hired to write Deep Space Nine music? And he was just out of ideas? Yes. And he's like, I don't know, aliens probably sound like like me. <laughs> I probably have. I share a lot with the alien mind. It's a tricky one, and it's one of the things that I find basically never works in science fiction is whenever they play music it doesn't work on babylon 5 like no. anytime there's music in the down in the fucking zocalo zocalo i'm like is that what they'd listen to <laughs> ah it sounds like uh it sounds like the theme song to the sentinel down there it oh it always works the best to me when picard is just listening to some romantic french music yeah. you know what i mean like i'm sorry by that I meant classical music of the romantic tradition, not not like uh, uh, amorous music. Exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah, when he's listening to uh, Berlioz or whatever. No, who was he listening to while he was waiting to die? In um... oh, he was listening to Satie. Satie, yeah. yeah, yeah, the impressionists. Maybe that's what he's into. <laughs> yeah, that's his thing. <laughs> I'm into it. I love them. The to me, that the always works better. Even though the question is like. Well, yeah, I'd like to know what the new hot shit is music-wise in 2300. I bet it sounds like some garbage noise that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, how do you feel about the Klingon opera that we I'm get to hear? I'm fine with Klingon opera. <laughs> I, li- I liked what we got to hear in that. Otherwise, fuck. I even liked his little song, that he, this little hunting song that he teaches the, them yeah, in that camp. Yeah, it sounds very um, f- In fake that camp tribal. where he diddles that girl. Yeah, but he d- for sure does an underage lady. Yeah, not okay. We'll get to that in ten years. We'll talk about it. Um, so these aliens throw the universal translator for a loop. Um, that's something, I guess. That that even in the twenty fourth century, the universal translator can still be uh, got. It's it's troubling that they chose that. Yep, I that hated was a, a mistake. Lot. I hate it a lot. I, can we just never talk about it? It's a third rail. Why don't talk about it? <sighs> fucking ds9 um hey those maza stocks those are apparently a universal hit yeah everyone liked those shit cisco knew that shit would hit the spot with these people is that just some sugar cane or something it and they like sweet. it because it's sweet yeah mm. uh all the leaders of the scree are women their men are thought to be more emotional also multiple males can be bonded to one female and they have many uses like clonpeaks there's yep. the clonpeak reference um ds9 holds 7,000 people according to odo Yep, I had that too. I'm guessing that's some kind of maximum capacity for a short period of time, because that station doesn't look that big. We never, uh, I think we only see the middle part of it. We yeah. think we know what goes on in that docking ring, which would, is always, probably 90% of that station by volume. We always see someone walking out of uh, an airlock, or like somewhere on like upper pylon 3 or whatever. But we, yeah, we don't get a good look at how big the other spaces are. But it seems like a lot, so... But uh, the the whole Enterprise D, yeah, can hold five thousand troops on a short term mission, and it for some I can believe it. I think the sets, I think they built more sets. Yeah. I think I've seen so much of the Enterprise D that I can like imagine all kinds of people in it, and I've seen so little of DS Nine that it's hard for me to imagine it as being very large. Well, and so I'm like, 
so this is, I mean, we're just going to steal from my quick hitters here, but why do they always beam people direct to ops? Dude, it's because is... they didn't build a transporter room set. Exactly correct. This is what I was asking last week about why they always beam something directly next to the warp core. It's, it's, it's clearly because they didn't think of anything better when they were making the show, but in-universe, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. Why would you beam people you've never met before right into the fucking center of operations of your station? Ugh. Uh, let's see, Dominion build-up, uh, information build-up continues, and I actually have to award points for the slow, subtle build they're working on. I mean, it's just one drop in this. They're like, just leaking it out every once in a while. You'll hear something like, oh, someone called the Dominion. And there's just a suggestion here that the Dominion is multiple races. Mm-hmm. And that... They're powerful they're, enough to have beaten whoever these guys were. They're pretty bad news. Yeah. Plix ticks a plick. Regrunion. <laughs> Wanted for illegal weapon sales. Then how does Plix Ticks a Plick not sound like a Star Wars name? Well, so in my quick hitter, uh, <laughs> I, I wrote, Plix Ticks a Plick, the Regrunion, must have found a wormhole over from Star Wars. Right. <laughs> and by the way, all Regrunions are wanted for illegal weapon sales. They're all arms traders, yeah. yeah. That's true. Draylon <clears throat> uh, 2. Some stuff about what the Cardassians are doing to oh, our way, soil! We, by the way, can we say this? Oh, that guy's yeah. name is Nog. The guy who was... Uh, yeah. The guy who was taking a shit on Plix Tixaplik was Nog, and he was talking to Odo. I wonder if we'll ever figure out... Neither why... of them has another name. I was going to say, I wonder if we'll ever figure out why Ferengi don't have other names. Or yeah. if that's just their thing. And Odo, uh, we will someday find out why he's called that. I know that. <laughs> uh, I thought there was enough there, and I gave him points for the um, the Dominion stuff. I gave it a five. No, Okay. So, uh, we continue to be a little bit far apart. Oh, fuck. <laughs> no, I only gave it a four. Oh, okay. That's good. We're, we're bridging the gap, then. Um, Boy, but let me see if I had anything you didn't have. Oh, yeah, I did. In fact, this is why it's only a four. So, I had two things. Uh, One, these Tashiar Memorial holograms have many uses. So, that was my Clumpeak reference. Nice. We're doing it. We're doing one right here. And I got apparently sticks there was right now. Apparently, there was a pretty dope world that the Federation can just give away, yeah. and nobody already wanted to settle on it? I think if something... What's a, they got terraformers. What, <laughs> if something... What's this great world doing? I think that's why other people who aren't in the Federation hate the Federation. I mean, it must be, right? Because apparently within their territory are just like these paradise planets that ain't nobody doing anything with. They're yep. just sitting there. Yeah. Which also this means, by the way, that in home soil... Those dudes were terraforming that planet, not because anyone wanted to live there, but just as kind of an academic exercise. Oh, yeah. No, they got planets they can settle on. It is not a necessary thing to make new ones. They're just saying, like, can we do it? Can we do a good job and make a really cool place? And what is the laser room for? (laughs) Well, it's a very good question that we've already asked, but that I continue (laughs) to think about. (laughs) So you about nailed it. Let's see if Ben got anything in world building that we missed. Okay. Uh, he wondered if the screens could be recurring in the future. I don't expect that to be the case. Watching this episode, I wouldn't expect it. Even though they're like going to Draylon 2 or wherever they're going. Are they going to Draylon 2 or did the choose just like... Yeah, well, they're just going to Draylon 2. Okay, well, uh, I don't... They're I mad at Kira, not Cisco. I didn't think that... I, I didn't get the impression we'll see them again. No. Um, For characterization... yeah. Uh, Cisco unusually involved in a diplomatic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually like Kira episodes because I think there are only two actual actors on this show, and she's one of them. 
Yes, even though she does fall into the trap where if you write melodrama, she'll she give will it to you one hundred percent. Give you melodrama, yeah. and I thought that was no exception here. I thought um, she was she was the best part of this episode. Mm-hmm. She's the uh, only her and Quark are capable of playing. Probably, I'm conflicted because I kind of understand why my government says no to this request. Yeah. Yeah, and like I'm it's out of character for Quark to have that attitude, but he's from what we've seen of Quark, he's the only other one who could do it. I think. I think we will eventually get to see all of this stuff with his relationship with Odo, some of his conflicted feelings. Um, you mean the only two actors when there are no Cardassians on the show, right? Yeah, when Gul Dukat's okay. not present and Garrick's not around. And uh, yeah, I guess Garrick counts. Although Garrick is, he's an eyeballs actor. I think. <laughs> well, he definitely leads with the eyeballs for sure. Eyeballs His eyeballs first. really do heavy lifting. Him and the guy who plays Gowron yeah. are eyeballs actors in an incredible way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait till we start to get to see some Gowron in these shows. Because, you know, right. on his Gowron, second appearance, he gets to count in characterization. Son of so. a bitch. I think Gowron probably will... Well, no. I think Gowron will still show up in The Next Generation before he shows up in Deep Space Nine, but it'll be close. We'll get him in, in both of them. Yes, I think end of season four of DS9. So it's season three of TNG. So yeah. 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 Well, no. So this is, we're already in season four of TNG. Uh, oh no, I see what you're saying. It's season yeah. three of TNG, end of season four. Of yes, because we're doing this in the week matchup. We'll yeah, see yeah. Garon first. Yes. <clears throat> but you're right. Um, yes. I mean, of the regular cast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So far, Garrick has not really become a regular. In fact, he's been missing again recently. <laughs> Yes, so. uh, after after showing up, in a, and we all immediately were like, oh man, I wish he was in this Yeah, more. it's like, oh, this and is much better gone. when this guy's around. Yeah, he's uh, totally absent. So. Oh, I like him leading Bashir around. Yeah, we really, yeah. we really did think that was much better. Yeah, yeah just a lot it. better. That gives Bashir something to do, for one thing. They can't make a good show. They just don't know how to do it, man. Yeah. Um, I thought this was probably the best Jake so far, also. Okay. Out there trying uh, to do what his daddy taught him would be nice. Yeah, basically. Yeah. He's just trying to live right out there. That's right. Also, somehow he landed one of those underboob girls. It doesn't make any sense. I got. Uh, we need some parenting tips for uh, Ben Sisko because he's about to get into a whole world of nonsense. Uh, but Dax, O'Brien, Bashir, Quark, and Odo were all kind of just playing Little League on this one. Yep. Yeah. Um, but still, I gave it as much as a six. Damn, son! Yep. Okay, then we're going to be pretty far off again. <laughs> yeah, it seems okay. like it. Seems like it, huh? Uh, Morn had a lady friend in a blue uniform. I don't know if you caught that. I rarely pay attention to Morn. Yeah. Uh, Quark monitors his profits at the bar on an hourly basis. He hates refugees, as you would predict. Yeah, of course. Um, sometimes Cisco's dialogue seems like it's being delivered by Eeyore. <laughs> Like, Kira's hella pissed about Quark and comes, like, uh, storming onto the bridge, and Cisco, hella deadpan as a donkey, goes, Glad to hear it went well. Cisco's <laughs> um, happy to make DS9 a little bit hectic if it means helping these screens. Uh, Kira is sarcastic even with aliens who cannot understand her. She's straight up like, Keeping her talking doesn't seem like it'll be a problem. Did we ever find out what she did? Oh, she was born in a camp. There was no before the... Yeah, the Cardis were around for a while. They were around for like 50 years, right? Yeah. 
So I guess nobody has any diplomatic training on Bajor, so might as well be her. No, well, we've only really met her and, like, uh, Rolaren, and neither one of them seems yeah. super astute. Um, <clears throat> she's also embarrassed by not having any males bonded to her, but not enough to avoid admitting it to strangers. Yep. She'll just straight up talk about how she's manless. Uh, Odo is hella annoyed by refugees as well. Bashir and O'Brien are such fucking babies. This lady tells them that women run the show in her society, and they get really defensive. It's really <laughs> ugly. It's very bad. It's an ugly look on Bashir and O'Brien. Now, we're used to it by now with these two, but good God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it even sort of makes sense, I mean, from what we've seen of O'Brien in The Next Generation, that he would not be smooth about something like this. No, no. Because he can't handle eating Japanese food. We will learn. He cannot. It is the 24th century, but that, that still is uh, he, a real hurdle. He, he just wants his potatoes, basically. <laughs> Although Keiko doesn't like to eat capers, so... Yes. You know, it goes around, comes around. Um, how old is Jake again? It's very difficult. I think he's supposed to be 12, but he could be anything up to 16 <laughs> because so, he's already started his growth spurt and he's always hanging he's, around with Nog. He's dating a doppelgirl? Yeah, it's very I'm bad. Trying... It's a very bad idea, and I... we have to assume his dad doesn't know. I don't think he's been told yet, and I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to figure out how it works. What's but... in it for the Dabo girl? One... Uh, protection from Quark. Well, I was going to say... It's just... I assume. Sort of, yes, that's one. But also, um, it's like the news radio joke. Uh, Dave wonders if Lisa ever really loved him or if she was just excited about the thought of being picked up on charges of corrupting a minor. <laughs> And I wonder if this lady just gets off on some weird shit. Could be. I wonder if we'll ever know. Um, you probably take a strange path in life to end up a double girl at Quarks. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, he tried to make friends with the new aliens, but he, I think he failed. Well, having Nog around didn't help. Yeah, he went back without Nog later and the guy wasn't sold. He He's wasn't, like, but... He made a really super good point that shut Jake up. He's like, do you want to live on Draylon too? And Nog's like, I mean, and Jake's like, uh, yeah, I mean, no. And he's like, neither do I. Boom. And he fucking dropped the mic and got out of that conversation. Uh, Nog knows he can't use I'm doing homework as an excuse with his dad because he never does homework. So he's he's got to come anyway. Um, he's racially intolerant, and I think uh, I think he's getting dumber. I think they're writing Nog to get dumber every episode. Well, it's not clear that his uh, flirtation with reading stuck. I don't think it did. I don't think, and I'm not sure he ever really learned how to say coup de gras, and uh, we never figured out why he was learning that. Yeah, it's odd. Uh, I gave it a three. I found there was a lot of things I didn't like. I see. <clears throat> so we're pretty far. We're going to be we're going to be pretty far apart, but yeah. uh, we leave the math till the end. And Ben, on this one for characterization, gave a four. He said, uh, Odo smiling is a rare but disconcerting sight, and uh, Kira sticks to her guns, even though she doesn't like the result. It's hard for her not to go Maverick, I think was his point. So. Yep. Uh, do you have any quick hitters left in your quiver? Yeah, I only had like two. Uh, here's one. Kira is pretty dim, huh? <laughs> the eye is obviously the wormhole. I mean, anyone at home would have immediately gone, oh, that means the wormhole. And Odo... It is, a ma it is a major flaw that they didn't instantly go, oh, shit. Oh, no, their planet's Bajor. This is going to be a whole thing. <laughs> Odo is very annoyed that no one else in the room figures it out. But, like, hey, dudes, they just came through the wormhole. Like, 
what do you think they're talking about when they're talking about the... Anyway. It made me mad and it made Odo mad that Kira was like, what's the eye? Uh, and then the only other quicker I had was about that guy's uh, live concert compilation DVD that he gave <laughs> as a gift. That's exactly correct. Fucking ridiculous. Hey, um... Why do people with badly damaged ships head for, like, a wild energy vortex in space? It happens all the time. We're also led to believe by Federation scientists that this is the only, like, stable wormhole in existence. Right. So most so of the time the, you go through one of those. If people know anything about wormholes, <laughs> they should know, this is going to put me somewhere and I won't be able to get back. And also, my ship sucks and it's maybe be I shouldn't go ride. in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yes, that's, I guess they were desperate to get away from the big bad dominions, probably. <clears throat> Uh, I had the same. I had the same feeling about uh, Bashir and O'Brien's performance when they revealed that all of their leaders are women. Dax is right, Julian. Why in the fuck would you repeat all of them like a slack-jawed rube? <laughs> all of very them. bad. All of them. Yeah, you idiot. I wonder how much fun it is not to play Julian Bashir. Uh, no kidding. I hoped. Uh, that we would see some trashy alien in that shitty dress later. Oh, uh, yeah. I hope that there'd just be a little visual throwaway where there's some back. woman in that dress and uh, maybe Kira and... I've forgotten her name, but the lady, like, Karen, each just other. call her Karen. Karen. Kira and Karen. Yep. They're best friends because their names start with K. Uh, then I wrote, don't turn back the ships of freedom, but I forgot to get a clip of that to play. Oh. I was going to play that. Just Can you low. imagine the first taste of freedom oh, yeah. for a refugee? Uh, by the way, I'm not even entirely sure what he's talking about. Something about the South China Sea. South I, China Sea. Some, some kind of refugee I, crisis we never heard about over I, here. I, 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 I can never really figure out where he's going. I understand the lyrics and still don't understand. So. I assume that one is straight up Australian politics. I, I hope that's true. He doesn't sing about that as much as he should. He's, he's pointing a lot of pointing a lot of fingers at America. Oh, but watch any live concert, and by the way, watch any of them. They're all amazing. They're, yeah. Any live midnight oil footage is amazing. <laughs> and then before every song, he'll say something that makes no sense and doesn't even sound like words. Because it's just some some Australian politics. Yeah. And he'll do his any ad lib, anything that he yells in the regular album version of the song, he'll yell something different about Australian politics. Oh, in that's there. good. Okay, good. Then I'll so, I'll watch them do, all. I'll collect it's them always all. a delight. Gotta catch them all. Uh Plix takes a plick we covered. Yeah, we did. This lady minister is like pretty jazzed to tell these people to get fucked. Yes. And again, the smiling wooden douche next to her who's the Vedic. Yeah. They couldn't bring Barile back. Have a little tender scene with uh, anyway, whatever. Also, that guy's the worst actor maybe in history. So, well, that's true too. I don't but... need to see him anymore. Or it could have been Win. Like if it had been Win, oh. it would have put a sinister spin on this, right? See, that would have been great. Ugh. I mean, you know, relatively great would have been yeah. better. She would have been. It would have given Kira pause, right? Because if Win is saying we don't want these people, maybe we do. Because she's extremely evil. And I think we've both agreed in the past that the lady playing Wynn has fully embraced it. Oh, yeah. does a much better job than most of the characters on the show at portraying what her character is supposed to be. Which is Agreed. a real bitch. Agreed. Her turn against what's-his-name, Minister Jaro, yep. was played perfectly. They are not Monday couple anymore. No, exactly. You know. Hey, this Bajoran general, we didn't even talk about it, but at one point, when uh, Tumac has stolen the ship... And the Bajorans are trying to turn him back. Cisco gets on the horn to like Bajor's top general, yeah, to tell him don't don't shoot this kid down. He's just a dumb kid. Yeah, 
he's a pretty reasonable guy, all things considered, huh? Yeah, they don't end up saving even the after kid's the guy life. stops shooting. Even if the guy starts shooting at him, he he's not like, well, light him up. Yeah. Like, I think they accidentally blow him up because they ignite some plasma or some nonsense, right? He seems they, remorseful. They fire a warning shot at the guy and blow him up. And when he finds out it's a kid, he's like, it's a kid. Yeah. <sighs> if that guy could be on two shows, we could we could put him in characterization. Yeah, he's not, though. Yeah. We'll never see him again. It's not the same guy who had the corduroy epaulets from the previous no. episodes. I think that guy's out of power now after that weird coup. A lot of stuff went down in that episode that I didn't reflect well on any of the people in that episode. That's right. He's yeah. probably not running the show. Yeah. He probably got an early retirement. And then, uh, whoops, this farmer is suddenly wise and eloquent at the end. Yeah, she was the reluctant leader they chose, and it only took 20 minutes for her to really settle into it. Let Kira know that Bajorans made a mistake. That's right. I give best actor to Kira, worst actor to Tumac. I don't know who that kid was, but he irritated me. I felt like I've seen him in other stuff I, and that I hated him in other stuff. I agreed. I felt like he must have played a kid on the next generation somewhere. That could be, yeah. Or like a like just a just a little piece of shit kid in some other TV, but I didn't it wasn't worth looking him up. And you know, I often look up actors that I recognize and I thought I recognized him, but I hated him so much I didn't want to look him up. <laughs> you just weren't into it. No. Hey, Matt, this experiment is going, like, wildly successful so far, because we spent 45 minutes talking about Deep Space Nine. It's pretty rare, and I didn't even have any quick hitters, so I think this may be something that we're going to find some useful data on, that we are more yeah. energized at the front half of the podcast, and we'll talk more about things. But that'll but also in that make case, the we might have to sort of, very we difficult. might have to randomize it, right? Yeah. Because uh, if we're just always doing the worst, it's just going to be, most weeks, it's just going to be us talking for 45 minutes about Voyager, Voyager. and hardly talking at all about the original series. Or it's going to make the podcast four and a half hours. Or we're going to go four and a half hours because when we get to, like, the end of this week is going to be Operation Annihilate, and yeah. I can't imagine we'll get out of that one in 25 minutes. No, there's plenty to say. Plenty went on in that fucker. Um, but next? next in next in our order is going to be the Outrageous O'Connor. For some reason, the Enterprise goes to Medina, which is a coalition of two planets uh, colonized a couple centuries ago. I I swear to God, if he said why they were going there, I missed the explanation. He Um, does not. They're just there. Yeah, he has a captain's log in the beginning, and he says they're going there, but I I could not figure out why. Oh, no. They're already there. Okay, so that's where they They're are. In a, he, my first line in my you know my extensive summary is yeah. enterprises in a system containing yeah. two worlds and there a fragile go. alliance. Okay, so anyway, they're there. I don't know why. Uh, they detect that there's a freighter out there having some mechanical issues, and when they reach out to see if the, they need help, they find the world's, the universe's most charismatic freighter captain or shuttle captain or whatever <laughs> he's supposed to be. He's a real rogue type. Okana. What's his first name again? Thadian. Thadian. Thadian Okana. Uh, They tell him they can help fix up his ship. So he beams on board and um, starts sexing all the ladies. Such as Lieutenant B.G. Robinson and Lieutenant Diana Giddings. I'll tell you. Those are the two ladies we see him sex. I'll tell you what I thought those ladies' names were later on. Okay. Because I I couldn't, I didn't know their names like you do, so... You can read them on their doors in this uh, HD remaster. I picked the first names that came into my head. Well, I'll just tell you, Terry Hatcher in my head was Trick McBridge. 
Oh, that's a great name. Yep, I thought. Uh, is it better than Lieutenant B.G. Robinson? I love the idea that people called her B.G. <laughs> B.G. Robinson is so generic sounding that it is that it is a perfect crew member yeah. to have on this show. But for some reason in my head, she she just looked like a Trick McBridge. Okay, and uh, Diana Giddings? Uh, uh, I don't know. I have to find it in my quick hitters. Um, okay. Anyway, this guy comes on board. He's sexing the ladies. He's talking to Wesley, which nobody does. He's uh, hanging out with Data and telling him all about the human condition. Yep, he's right at 100. He yeah. lands at 100. Yeah, everyone fucking loves this dude. There's some real Ace Rimmer vibes going on in this episode. Extremely. Um, but it turns out he is uh, wanted by uh, both of these planets in this coalition. Hey, and hold they... on, I'm going to derail you right there. Okay. Do you remember, uh, like, they'd show that Red Dwarf A to Z thing that had clips of a bunch of different people talking about the first time they saw Red Dwarf, and Patrick Stewart would be on there, and he'd be like, I had just gotten to L.A., and I, I turned it on, and I was like, these guys are doing Star Trek, and I got mad, and I called my agent. Yeah. <laughs> and we always said, why? It's not remotely like Star Trek. I get it now. This was probably the episode he saw. He watched this episode. He watched the the East Rimmer Rimmer episode. Yeah, and he's he's like, like, God, I got it, got it, got it, got a dimension jump. We just filmed this. Like this is garbage. We just did that episode. Um. So everyone loves him. Uh. But it turns out he's wanted by the authorities on both planets. Uh. And they both make their demands to Enterprise, and they're both real pushy about it. Um. I'll get to Data's plot if I decide to. Uh, anyway, to work it out with these guys, uh, they they have a little conference on the ship, and it turns out he's wanted by one planet for theft of their royal fucking family jewels or whatever. The Jewel of Thesia. The Jewel of Thesia, and he's wanted by the other planet for knocking up abroad. Which is yep. believable from what we know about him to this point. Yep, absolutely. We've already seen him get uh, real nasty with Terry Hatcher. So it, like immediately by the time we see the pregnant, the pregnant pouty lady. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, pulls a, pulls a tricky trick on him and he's like, all right, I'll marry this broad. Cause that's what the one guy demands. And that brings out the confession from the son of the other planet's leader who really knocked her up in some super lazy Shakespearean nonsense. Uh, it's these two uh, uneasy partners and these families that don't like each other. But guess what? The son knocked up the daughter of the other one, and he was O'Connor was just smuggling the jewel to her as a marriage fucking gift or whatever. A uh, fucking what do you call it when people are going to get married? An engagement ring, that kind of yeah, thing. That's right. So he he didn't do anything after all because he's such a good guy. And yep. uh, so that all works out. B-plot is Data wants to learn how to do comedy. So mm-hmm. that happened. A lot A lot of it happened. Mm-hmm. Too much. It's actually not that much. It's about 10 minutes of this 40-minute episode, but it's way too much. You know the part where Data makes Joe Piscopo go real fast? Yeah. Because he's absorbing the information real fast? I did that mm-hmm. to Data. <laughs> I made Data go real fast with my remote. I was kind of tempted to slow it down because... What's great about that is Joe Piscopo is telling him a dirty joke. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, he's telling. That's a joke where the uh, traveling salesman can stay in the farmer's barn, but don't put your dick in this hole, uh, or something like that. Right? It's one of those jokes. Uh, I definitely got the feeling 
that Brett Spiner thought this was his big chance to um, work with a great comedian and show his comedic chops. He yeah, seemed well, really excited in the scenes with Joe Piscopo, and we will talk about all of it. Let's cut right to it. What was this it about? Was supposed, it was supposed to be Jerry Lewis. Is that why he did a Jerry Lewis impression? Jerry Lewis was unavailable, and they brought Joe Piscopo in and said, instead, and he ad-libbed most of his stuff, including the Jerry Lewis impression. Hmm, that is a weird coincidence. Yeah. Joe Piscopo. Oh, by the way, okay. Marjan, uh, just, I know we were about to get into all of it, but Marjan routinely tells me she likes every TNG episode except two, and she refers <laughs> to this one as the Joe Piscopo episode. She doesn't like the Joe Piscopo episode. And she doesn't like the one where they do the surgery on Worf because it irresponsibly shows research and doctors. Yeah. I mean, so, that's the point. And I tell her every time, I said, that's exactly the point. That's why that lady's a bad guy. The exact You're point to they're go trying away. to make. That's yes. why they gave her short blonde hair like all villains. <laughs> You're supposed to walk away going, what a bitch. But that's not good enough. That's not good enough for Marjan. Anyway, so this is one of the two TNG episodes of 175 or whatever that she doesn't like. Okay. Well, let's jump right on this crazy thing. I always forget that this Joe Piscopo is the B-plot to this episode. Wait, you do? Oh, these are I always think me. it's Data's Day. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. He learns to dance, and he learns some other stuff on that But one. Data's Day is learning to dance. Yeah, no. Th- these are married because I know Okana tells him two bad jokes or something. Right, and he gets... It, by the way, it hurts his feelings that he doesn't understand the jokes. Because he's very emotional. <laughs> and that's what prompts this whole thing. All right. Okay, you well, were going to ask me what this episode is about. Yeah, what's this thing about? What is it about? Got it, got it, got it, got it. I believe that this episode is supposed to be... Okay. It's supposed to say that living only for yourself is ultimately unsatisfying. Yeah. So Okana, you're right, Okana decides he's going to play that tricky trick on him and agree to marry Yanar. Thank you, Yanar, yes. But that's not his first plan. His first plan is just to, to fucking book, book it, it and yeah, hope yeah. he gets away. That's right. Until Wesley throws some shade at him down yeah. in engineering and says, uh, I, I don't know, must be easy always leaving a place or something like that. Yeah. And he and he has a little think. He has a few little thinks in this episode where he looks soft off camera and is just kind of thinking his thoughts. So we see him having and a lot of fun. Every time he did one of those, I imagined him in a red uniform with three pips. Well, let's get well. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And there's a real missed opportunity here to have him talk to Riker in any way. Yep. To have Riker be any part of this, that's fine. Yeah. Um. So so we see him having all his great fun. He's got a real fun life. And he's a rogue, and he's banging B.G. Robinson and Diana Giddings, who, particularly Diana Giddings, is uh, probably not going to stay on the Enterprise, because I have to imagine Worf is pretty unhappy with her performance during that whole scene. Yeah. Although she is a full lieutenant, and he's a lieutenant junior grade, so I don't know. Both of the ladies out at rank Worf. Oh, that's, that's very confusing. I didn't know. It is that. very confusing. The, stru- the structure this, of the okay, Enterprise is Is this like odd. how, for a while, O'Brien was wearing two pips? Yeah, it's not thought through. Okay, all right. It's not crazy that there could be a lieutenant in charge of whatever division the transporter chief is in charge of. You have to imagine it's more... Well, the Enterprise has 20 transporter rooms. There could be a lieutenant in charge of that. Yeah, yes. But it, anyway, it makes no sense that, that Worf is a, the chief of security, sits at the captain's table constantly, 
has his ear. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Right, right. Uh, he's having a great old time, but we're supposed to see that, you know, it's not that great. And I think that that's kind of an interesting take and something that gets lost in the we live for personal growth, personal enrichment attitude about the 24th century that we always see. Yeah. Like, well, it seems like it'd be real easy to be Picard in this and concentrate on your weird archaeology <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, be a 60-year-old virgin. Yeah, because you fear who has an a angel. weird horse laugh when the redheaded doctor comes on to you. <laughs> Wait, do you still have queued up, or do you just switch? I know I have to. I have to put that back on there. It's not queued up right now. Because okay. I always enjoy but, that. Um. So you know the idea that uh, it's not, anyway. I think it's an interesting take for Star Trek, and I had to give it seven points. Oh my Don't god! Worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to ding execution instead. Um. All right, you actually talked me up because I had the exact same take. Like, I just worded it differently. You worded it, it was worded more eloquently, and you put more thought into why you thought it was a good take. I said it's cool to bang chicks and hang to the extreme with robots and children (laughs) in space, but eventually it gets old and you need to settle down, or even rogues really just want to come home. That's sort of the talk that Wesley gives him. It's like, hey, uh, but what about, like... What about after you're done being a rogue? I mean, know? I think he specifically asked him, doesn't it get lonely yeah. leaving all the time? So I based it and on... By the way, he doesn't have a dad, so it's important that that comes from Wesley. That's right. Another person that could have come from was Riker. We'll talk about that. It's a big missed opportunity. I had given that a two because I thought it was nothing, but you put more thought into it. And that is... In one way, it is very different from the way everyone else in Star Trek lives, so it makes sense that they would find it odd. That he lives that way. In the other way, why does he live that way? If it's because he's not in the Federation, he's on Medina or whatever. Or is he yeah. even from Medina, or is he just passing through? Oh, by the way, not clear. Not yeah, clear not if clear. he is from either of Atlek or, or Strayleb. Strayleb. Yeah. Um. But I I agree with the things you said somewhat. I I would I would work that up two or three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somewhat. Yep. I just I I don't know why he exists in the 24th century, but I guess if he's not in the Federation then it, you know. I guess the other people's are not the same way. I think that he is this character is they made him a freighter captain because of Harry Mud. I think he's Harry Mud a little Oof. bit, but like he's not slimy. No. He's the good good side of Harry Mud. No, we will get into how unslimy he is. We will get into all of it. Can I talk about execution? Yeah, I think I think you should at this point. I think the writer of this episode thought he came up with some Shakespearean shit. Oh yeah, yeah. By the way, I'm just going to assume it's Maurice Hurley for the rest of season 2. Yeah. I don't know who gets the credit, but that he's the head writer, he's the one who got rid of Beverly Crusher and brought in Dr. Pulaski, so I don't I don't have good things to say about him in the to begin with, but Yeah. Uh he did not. He did not write some Shakespearean. You're right. Shit. He was proud of himself though. Um he was doing a classic here. We get a few hints of Okana not really enjoying his uh, erstwhile existence. Yep. <laughs> See, uh, you know, he gives. No, very proud of himself. I, he, I agree. He has some of those long looks. His ship is named the Erstwhile. Matt didn't mention it. I would have mentioned it if I did the summary for this one. <laughs> you would have had a lot more to say about it. I know. Um, yeah. Look, hey, the whole plot starts super late. Like yeah, the real absolutely. plot. The first entire half of this episode is him just dicking around. 
I mean, literally in some cases, dicking or just like walking on a ship and talking to dudes and nothing's happening. And it has, we have no indication that there's any problem at all with him until seriously, like 30 minutes into the show. Yep. When the first dude shows up who wants to take him into custody. And then it all comes to a head super quick. So nothing's, nothing is explored in this episode nearly as much as how much everybody loves him. That is true. And, uh, and you know, all the data stuff happened. Um, so I give <laughs> it a two. But the data stuff I, is I straight up duty. I give it's it a straight two. Straight up duty. Yeah, it's the worst. It's absolutely terrible. I gave, I gave it a two in execution. Okay. Yeah. Um, I gave it a three. Okay. Um, obviously they did a bad job at hitting the premise. Parentheses, any premise. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Only really one conversation with Wesley at the end. I think it's a real miss not to involve Riker more, both for the real-world reason that this cat was up to play the role of Riker. And he could play responsible Okana. But also Riker is the guy on the ship most like him. And he's already had a bunch of, you want to be a starship captain, you're not going to have time to settle down moments that could play off of my take. Yeah. Um, Also, garbage B-plot. I mean, really... This Data wants to be a comedian, or sorry, Data's exploring the human condition or whatever. Blech. Yeah. It, by the way, at no point does it lead to a good episode, I don't think. Not the one where he has dreams. No. Arguably the best one is the one where he creates his robot daughter. And I don't know if that's anything to do with the episode or just because Jonathan Frakes is accidentally a little bit better a director than most of the people who direct Star Trek The Next Generation. Because <laughs> that's his first one out. Is uh, I, I think you're right that it's an accident. The Offspring. Um, um, so I initially had it at two. It does get a plus one, though. A plus for, one? For um, the new camera angle where they're looking through Picard and Riker at the view screen from Worf's right boot. Uh, okay. I thought that was an interesting piece of cinematography. I like that that earns a point. Execution is where I put it. Okay. Yeah, I've given points in the past for effective uh, filmmaking. Okay. So that's what I've got that in there for. So I'm a seven and a three. You're a three and a two. Far off Um, again. Ben is a four and a three through the top half. So again, splitting splitting the gap. Uh. He uh, he pointed out that it's Shakespeare. Obviously, it's Shakespeare. Yeah, except clearly, you know. this is a Shakespeare that they did. They did. They done did a Shakespeare. Except you know. Except you know. Except it's. Except you know. You know what happened. It was yeah. written by Star Trek people. Right. They aren't good. And not whichever writer on Star Trek is a big Shakespeare guy. Yeah. This is not the. This is not that guy's thing. No, this is literally somebody who blurted out in the middle of a staff meeting, "Romeo and Juliet," but in space. And they said, yep. They said, okay, you write it, and then that's what happened. Uh, he also deducts a point straight away for Data referring to a fish as an amphibian. Agreed. That's very bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's, it's very bad that that happened, and it's out of character for Data, but Data's character is a mess from start to finish. <laughs> yeah, is it out of character? I'm not sure what Data's character really is, and he doesn't understand most words, so I guess I'm not that surprised. Uh, no stakes? Yeah, this is not a stakes episode. This no. is an episode... If, if if for anything about the Federation, like Picard's thing here is how you act when there are no stakes. Like, do you still take it seriously and do your good job when there's nothing at stake? Because these guys can't hurt him. And did Picard do a good job? 
He's uh, real... no, Picard did nothing. He's he's a re- he's real buddy buddy with uh, with Okana, who is wanted by both oh, of these yeah. worlds. There is a wild undercurrent through here where everybody thinks it's on the ship thinks it's pretty cool to leave a pregnant girl behind and just like fucking take off. <laughs> That's right. They're all like, well, their morality may seem outdated. We're dealing with primitive codes around <laughs> yeah, procreation and right. honor. And, uh, and everyone's like, oh, so it's just cool? It's not it's sick. just cool to abandon that lady? It's, in our society, it's sick as fuck. <laughs> in our society, it's really cool to be a rambling man and go to Florida. That's and right. just leave your kid behind. What a guy. <clears throat> uh, he thinks they were trying for a Mud's Women type of feel, I guess. Um, but he liked it much less than Mud's Women. I disagree. That was a terrible I did not episode. enjoy Mud's Women at all. I had lots of actual very visceral reactions to that episode. So, um, that's the that's the top half of this episode. Hmm. Uh, again, Ben's in between us, although we're less far apart on this one. Um, it's your turn for world building, right? World building. So, there's some good work here, for sure. Oh, okay. Um, the fact that Okana's vessel is a Class 7 and these two ships are Class 9 is interesting to me because it means that they have some kind of system for ranking presumably ships that they've never seen before. Like, yeah, this is some classification for general alien ships. Yeah. They gave it the scan and based on some criteria, they have an immediate rating. Also the sensors read ship markings. Okay. Cause that's how data identifies that the two ships are not, it's not another at, Atleb ship. And that's not because them. of Atleb some ship. transponder or something like nope. that? He says the ship's markings indicate that it's it's uh, from Strayleb. And they didn't just have Jordy looking out a window? They didn't just send Jordy okay. to look out a window. Jordy right. okay. was too busy fixing that prop all episode. Just like... And uh, kind of chuckling to himself about O'Connor. Just like, like, I think he knows that O'Connor's not that great, but he's not going to spoil Wesley's fun. Just like last week, he spent a lot of time fixing a wooden ship in engineering? That's correct. Yeah. They took him off the bridge in a way that I think was not fruitful for his character. Nope. He should have stayed up there and kept piloting the ship. I wonder if he assumed, and I wonder if he's correct in assuming, that it's because he's black. Mm. Mm. Because they just straight They already gave up and had him doing a lot of engineering stuff by the end of season one. I think they figured out they needed an engineer. Yeah, poor him. He's one of the few actors. They hadn't figured out the obvious thing, which was to promote O'Brien yet. Yeah, well... How well anyway. did that work out when he got a full-time gig? Uh, full conference mode. Also, they have a conference room on deck 14. So it's nice to see some other spaces okay. on the ship. Is that the one they use? Yes. Interesting. Um, they use the one on deck 14 for the... Uh, because it doesn't matter. That's the one that just is like guest quarters where they <laughs> send... Say, the where lighting has this confrontation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, also Jerry Lewis existed in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, I never know what to do with things. I mean, it makes sense. I think anything... But not, apparently, Sinbad, because when Data (laughs) asks about the best comedian, the funniest comedian of all time... Sinbad doesn't come up. It's not Sinbad. I know, it's crazy. Anyone who's seen any of his comedy specials about... Just How they used to wear uh, platform shoes, or trying to sneak into your house, but your mama knows that you're doing it. That's right. And your mom, and then he's got an impression of his mom, and that's... Yeah, yeah, it should have been Sinbad. <laughs> should have been Sinbad, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Wasn't even on the list. Instead, this guy's name is Ronald B. Moore. <sighs> not not Ronald D. Moore. Ronald B. Moore. Ronald B. Moore, another Ron Moore that was in the visual effects department. 
God damn it. Um, yeah, also in the space future, it's considered pretty cool to abandon your pregnant girlfriend, so I gave it 4 out of 10 for world building. Uh, okay, here's what I got. Coalition of two planets. Medina colonized two centuries ago. Atlek and Strelib. Class 9 interplanetary cargo ship. Yeah, maybe, by the way, maybe O'Connor's from whatever planet colonized that system. Maybe. Uh, we, we don't really have any clue. Uh, Assuming that these aren't just humans, and in that case, what is the Federation? <laughs> I, I feel like we've asked that question before. Uh, lasers only. Uh, apparently Which the tractor can't beam... even harm the navigational deflectors. Apparently the tractor beam is some kind of super delicate operation. Yeah, boy, in this episode it is, huh? They, like, are really cautiously lining this shit up, like when they do the saucer separation in the pilot. But I think they forget that they've already used the tractor beam 18 times yeah, by now. I was going to say, like, they've used it a million times, and it's never been that kind of operation. But Stano Riga, 23rd century jokes about quantum mathematics, or whatever the hell they said. I wasn't paying attention. That's who they yep. say is the funniest. Not Sinbad. It, it's, it's wild. It's a wild idea. This hologram seems to know. Also, he's... by the way, I think we can agree Sinbad would have done the show. Oh my god, and how much In better would that have been? Or, let me rephrase it, how much more 90s would that have been? Uh, it would have been wonderful. Or late 80s. Um, this hologram seems to know he's a hologram. Yep, I also thought that was very odd. They really were scared of that last week. Mm-hmm. Like, just last week, they were like... Last week, it was extremely troubling. It was, like, the end of the world that that guy knew that. And this guy is just like, I'm a fucking hologram! And everyone's like, cool. Or date, I guess. He's the one who meets him. Uh, glob flies. I had that on there, too, but I think it was worth saying out loud. I said it out loud. I gave it I also three. had a Tricillium or Trisolite or whatever it was. Yeah, sometimes I don't catch all the uh, Technobabble stuff. Uh, I gave it three. <clears throat> yeah. Characterization. This is where this episode really shines. <laughs> Data? Data doesn't know what rogue means. <laughs> how? But how, though? Uh-huh. By the way, talk about a wormhole from Star Wars. This guy's dressed like Han Solo. Yeah, he really is. This rogue is dressed like Han Solo. They really wanted to hit He's got the blood stripe on his pants and everything. They wanted to hit that hard. Uh, Data's an asshole, too, by the way. That that fake laugh that he gives was hella sarcastic. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's very cutting. We all know he smirks and smiles all day long with genuine emotion. So that shit was mean as hell. Uh, Data claims he has no sexual attraction or something like that, but we know he can fuck a girl and get fucking all tilted when she dies. Yep. Whatever that is. And goddamn, he has the most earnest, depressed, scrunched up face in his conversations with Guinan. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, hopeless. They hired the wrong guy for this. God I mean, it's damn, just, they did. I'm sure, look, I'm sure it's hard. Especially because they keep writing a guy who clearly has emotions. It's just, if they'd used the robot face from that Voyager episode last week, a lot of this would be solved. Remember the robot they beat? Yeah, they should have put the robot face on him or Legion. <laughs> yeah, exactly, they should have used Legion's face and a lot of this would be easier. Um, Meathead Worf at least knows that this dude is armed when he beams up. Though yep. he spaces out looking at the knife he's handed. Like, what if dude just karate chops him in the throat right there? As if he has never seen a $5 knife you buy at a hardware store before. <laughs> he was, like, super intrigued by that blade. 
he Okana gives him this shitty cheap uh, Rambo style knife yeah. that you could that you would get off the knife collector shop. And he you tells get him ten it has, of them for twenty dollars. Tells him it has sentimental value or something. It's more a piece of jewelry than anything, yeah. and it's just the worst piece of garbage. And Worf is just so taken. He's just studying it up and down, and I'm like, man, you're the security chief. Why don't you like wait a minute? Anyway, you can <clears> check out his cool knife later. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Worf is extremely dismissive of these glob flies, uh, and he's desperate to throw down with Okana. Yeah. I mean, he, he straight up like tells that. him he would like that. <laughs> the thing that has gone unsaid. Uh, does Worf feel his male supremacy is at risk or something? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe he's been maybe he's been banging B.B. Robinson. Has he been... <laughs> By the way, I found my name for the other one. I called her Slim Doyle. <laughs> was pretty good. So well, yeah, has he been banging Trick McBridge and Slim Doyle, and he's fucking pissed off that this guy is getting in on his territory? Even though he told those ladies, even though we know Worf told those ladies that there was no strings attached. Yep. Because I can't figure out why he hates this guy so much. Um, and I do like his laugh at O'Connor's eagerness to meet Picard. That was a good Worf touch. He's like, oh, maybe I'll finally yep. get to meet the captain. And Worf just laughs at him like, you fucking idiot. Um, Wesley is so happy to meet somebody who doesn't just call him the boy. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's like over the moon that a boy, that, like a dude talked to him. On he purpose. even puts up with that little joke about Lieutenant Commander, even though, like, for real, a kid Wesley's age would be irritated by that. Oh, yeah, that's a real Like, I get joke. what you're doing. That was a dad joke. I get what you're saying, and I I understand that that means you can tell that I'm a little kid. And I reject your joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's what should have happened. But yeah, he's way into it. And uh, I think he talked Okana into doing the right thing. What is this episode? Sorry, I don't know why I had that in characterization. I just had it all over my notes, I think. Uh, Jordy, why are you fixing this boy's ship with parts he'd never be able to replace? Well, uh, Jordy, obviously pretty dismissive, too, says that part will outlast his ship. It's like, yeah, okay, but I mean, just as a general rule, like, he's making a good point. Like, let's say you're wrong, Jordy. It's happened last week. It has happened. Or, like, what if, um, what if, uh, he gets shot by a laser yeah, and what it if, hits that part? Yeah, what if the laser shoots that part? Is that, can they be damaged by lasers? I guess at that point he probably would have more trouble than just that thing being broken. I'm just saying, uh, he made a really good point. Jordy's just like, yeah, hey, don't worry about it. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he's gonna personally guarantee this guy doesn't have an issue, I guess. Yeah, well, he's not gonna be around to, uh... Exactly. Make good. He's actually being a real Okana on this one, isn't he? He's, he's kind bolt. of being an Okana. He's kind of leaving his pregnant girlfriend behind, he's yeah. being a real Thadian. Let's just say that. Guinan's jokes are pretty toothless. In truth. No shit. I, do you think it was hard for Whoopi to tell those bad jokes? <laughs> Did you, well, I wonder An if she, actual comedian? I wonder if she tried to come up with the jokes and they rejected them, like, on the fly. Like, uh, let's just do the script. <laughs> yeah, I, it's already been written, so... Brent's, don't do anything that'll make Brent laugh. You know we only have you one day a week, so let's get in and out. Let's go. Um, Because Data's like, maybe your jokes weren't funny, and I was at home nodding. Like, yeah, like, yeah they really weren't I funny. Think, I think that's what it was. Uh, Picard plays threats from alien vessels real cool. Just joking around and ordering the shields down and shit. In case he wants to surrender. It would serve him right if these dudes carved him up. It would have been great if they were like, oh, their lasers are real good, though. They're really good I don't lasers. Know. We, never, we never did see lasers like this before. <laughs> uh, I did also like the, 
there are sometimes we've talked about this many times small touches in TNG that some of the other shows don't have and I, I thought Worf laughing in the turbo lift was one of them but the other one I liked was the realism of Picard giving a super non-specific order about the view screen and then getting mad at Worf when he asked for clarification <laughs> yep. that was a moment where we all went bosses right <laughs> on screen and Worf's like which one and he's like what the, I don't know <laughs> the first one it's like at home you're supposed to be like I got a boss too Yep. Real pain in the ass. I know how it is, Worf. Uh, I had forgotten this guy's name was Thadian O'Connor. That should not have gone there. That should have been a quick hitter. Um, why doesn't Troy say anything when O'Connor is obviously lying to Picard on the bridge? Yep. Uh, I hate what is happening to Troy so far in season two. Uh, she, so she has I one think, uh, role. Which is to I think tell Picard when people you are lying anyway. That I had a real world theory about TNG. Yeah. And my theory is that Maurice Hurley yes. tried to get with Marina Sirtis and got rejected. And then he wrote her to be terrible and dumb. So in this episode, we have yet another so right right here on the bridge. Right up here in the in the cold open of this bridge. Uh he's looking at everybody. Troy's right there. Troy talks. Mm-hmm. Old BG Robinson gets on the comm and says, uh, "Yeah, we'll be over, whatever." And he goes, "Is that a woman's voice I hear?" <laughs> Just happen- fucking looking right at Troy. Two weeks ago, yes, you're right. Nagilum, he's real impressed. Looks when at he Troy finds and Pulaski, Pulaski and goes, "Hey, what's going on over there?" That one's got boobs, right? That what's up with that old lady? That one's got boobs and wears her penis. What's yep. going on here? Yep, 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 yep. And yep. Troy is right there. Another shot. Then. He gets called up there, and he thinks Picard's going to be mad that he's fucking all the crew members. Yeah. And he asks if it's because of his socializing with the crew. Watch that scene again. The camera is not on Okana. The camera is on Troy, and she's giving him a stern look the whole time. Yeah. Is that because Okana didn't fuck her? Well. (laughs) He fucked everyone else. So not only is she now useless now that we're here in season two. Yeah. But also, you're not sexy no more, says me, Maurice Hurley. The entire reason that you were added to the show and why we put you in all the low-cut tops and everything. But not anymore. You are old news. This is my theory, anyway. Fascinating. I like it. I think it, I mean, it fits. But, um, I don't know, was that in that book? Was there anything about that? No, they didn't say dick about it in the book. There were sometimes things that they'd put in about how the writers would try to go down and flirt with Ashley Judd or something, but... And obviously stuff about Picard fucking Vosh. Yeah. <sighs> Ugh, with this. Anyway. Um, did I give a score or just read things? My score you have is not th- yet given your score. My score is a three. A three. Okay. Uh, I gave it as many as four. Wow, we might be pretty different on this Let's one again. see what you... Uh, Pulaski. Absent even from ten forward. I liked that, actually. I should give it an extra point just for no Pulaski. How mad must she have been when she figured when she found out what she missed? You mean Data was in here <laughs> with a cigar trying to tell jokes? <laughs> yep. And I could have been bagging on him? Yeah, again, I think when she found out, like when she like resurfaced after I assume being passed out for a couple of days, and they told her what happened, she must have just fucking lost her shit. Yeah. It was like almost enough to get her to stop drinking, but you know, not quite enough. Again, we talked about it, but I hate what's happening to Troy. Season one Troy was very different from the Troy that I remembered, and I liked her a lot better. But, nope, here we are. 
again, if 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 the theory is that Maurice Hurley ruined Star Trek in season two, he ruined it forever because good Troy never comes back. When Crusher comes back, she's not the motivated, enthused Crusher anymore. I mean, there are a few times, but mostly she just just gets in everyone's business in the fucking conference room. Yeah, Worf obviously has already gone back. Yeah, he's an animal man now, yeah. or some kind of animal creature. So, yeah, it's not great. Uh, good Jordy, decent Picard. Riker is in this one so little that I checked to see if it was the first one Frakes directed, but it turns out that that's the offspring. That's why I had that in the top of my mind, because I was like, man, why is he not in this? Yeah. Uh, I give it, a, uh, again, a 4 out of 10 for characterization. I just, Wesley, Jordy. Data was were, so bad, I couldn't, I just couldn't give it points. Data was very bad, but Data's always bad. That's the trouble with well, this, yes. right? So is Data's data always, is bad. always bad. So then it's, how much is Data in it? That's if true. He's barely he's in, in it, it too much. The B plot is the data. Right. Yeah. If he's barely in it, then you're like, okay, well, that wasn't so but bad. Let's compare, please, to an episode that will be coming up in which Data plays 18 characters. Yeah, that's going to be hard. He's entirely in it. Well, it's going to be a different one too because he's not playing Data. So he's playing yeah, Data with true. Uh, deranged visions. Or but something. we get to see Old West Troy in that one also. So I imagine Counselor the characterization Durango. score is going to be. Amazing. <laughs> Counselor Durango. Ten years from now, we will get to it. Uh, yeah, I give it a four. Um, Let's check in with Ben and then do quick hitters. Yeah. Uh, on the back half, Ben gave it a two for world building. Two throwaway aliens that are essentially human. I mean, yes. By the way, no reason they couldn't be human. They, they might, just it's not, human. it's not said what they are. Yeah. Except that sometimes they point that out like it's some kind of big deal when they meet them. And they're like, not humans that they regularly talk to yeah like uh not in the Federation. what's a human call and yeah here, what, what's cetera, happening right? this is nuts anyway yeah that's true and he gave it a three on characterization uh <laughs> he obviously also points out stupid troy guinan's bad jokes anyway <clears throat> all right you got some quick haters yeah of course of course of course uh, Troy reads this guy's emotions right up at the top mm. and determines that he's a rogue with plus two charisma and a chaotic good alignment. <laughs> I have, uh, I have, I just let me jump in because I have almost the same thing. I have, okay, so they really didn't want us to be scared of this guy, huh? No. They make sure Troy gives us the entire rundown on him, especially mentioning that he has no malevolence in him in any way, and she's beaming the whole time when she describes him. So that we'd know for sure he's not a bad guy. Yep, 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 yep. So then what are we supposed to do with the central mystery of this episode? It's a very good question. If we know for sure, because when he shows up, the music gets all jolly and hopeful, that he's not a bad guy. Yep. Okay, anyway, go on. Sorry. Yep, yep, yep. No, you got it. Uh, suspense music for the tractor beam I thought was out of place. Mm-hmm. Uh. Data says it's not possible for him to get drunk, but if you prick him, does he not leave? I think he then makes a weird correction, and he says, not by alcohol, anyway, or something like that. Mm. And it's, and then you're like, oh, okay. So what was the point? Uh, Data is right not to laugh at Guinan's droid noid bit. <laughs> He's right not to laugh. That's correct. Uh, he has emotion in every episode, but his what do I do about not having a sense of humor is genuinely pathetic. <laughs> it would be good acting if it wasn't supposed to be from an emotionless robot. That's right. We're so close to giving you a compliment. 
why does Data know that a guy's hilarious jokes about quantum mechan- mathematics would be a bad choice? Why does he know that's not what he wants to do? Yeah, what does he How say? How does he know that's not what's going to play? Yeah, how does he describe it to the computer? That's too esoteric too or something, Too esoteric, right? yeah. How does he know that that's not going to land? By that seems way, like right up his alley. I thought we agreed we were going to stop giving the holodeck vague instructions. Yeah, no kidding. Because who knows what's going to happen. He might make a super comedian that's going to come out and fucking slay. Just really slay, do a cool show. Anyway. Uh, the computer made Piscopo self-aware. Yep. Uh, those binars really fucked up the whole ship. Huh? I was saying this all goes back to the binars. Can they just roll back their software updates? Yeah, can we just really? Can we literally Let's go can back we to version six point one or whatever they were at before the binars showed up? Uh, Piscopo keeps breaking during this bad scene. Like he keeps having to look away slightly from Spiner <laughs> and suppress a chuckle. Uh, whoops, Data thinks fish are amphibians. Ugh, we get a raw crewman flying the ship here. On the bridge, because yep. Wesley's got to be in engineering, having insights. Right. Not a, So a violation of Picard's uh, elitist officers only on the bridge rule. Hmm. Is uh, the crewman at least 45 years old? He's um, He's got kind of a Remick level hairline, <laughs> so he's starting down his male pattern baldness <laughs> path, yeah. Again, I always wonder what these crewmen are doing with their lives. What is second happening? Second careers. A lot of second careers. The real question is how they get assigned to Enterprise. I was a software engineer. And you're like, ah, oh, that's great. What are you doing now? I'm a crewman. I make my own root beer. <laughs> now I'm in the military. <laughs> hey, uh, real cigars aren't that big, right? Uh, do you think Data was holding Data's a comically large? has got a fucking large? foot-long joke cigar. Yeah, here. he thought that would be a better gag. Yeah, bigger is better. Yeah. Uh, Picard refers to the Atlex as the Atlex legation, which I think is an interesting choice of words, since it suggests a diplomat but not an ambassador. It's like a little dig. He's giving him a little dig. Oh, he did love digging these dudes. Yeah. Uh, Giddings, not helpful at all in this wharf encounter. Too horny to remember her loyalty? Yes, yes. Well, come on, it's O'Connor. It's Fady and O'Connor. Yeah, I guess he so. He showed up in his vest and everything, and it was, what are you supposed to do? And then not only did both of these sex ladies outrank Worf, but Robinson even has quarters on Deck 8, and that's Ooh. like one of the better decks. Damn, I wonder what... That's it... where all the main officers have their quarters. Does she appear in any other episodes? Or she does like... not. She got fucking banished, dude. They both got banished. And I... why are they surprised? Picard is hella judgmental about the ancient morality play they've been dragged into. Mm-hmm. That's not the Picard I know. To be judgmental about them. And uh, that pregnant daughter does a lot of open-mouthed, pouty sighing in this episode. Like, did someone tell her, look, you're pregnant, but be a little sexy. Yeah, I have, um, wow, this guest actress blows, huh? Yeah, that too. Because uh, I did not like any of her choices. Now we're hearing some truth, says Troy to no one, because obviously this is the truth that's coming out now. <laughs> it's true. It's not really necessary for her to say that. She did not also, need to pipe up there. Shouldn't now she have, we're hearing some truth. Also, shouldn't she have been helping us to find the truth with her yeah. fucking Betazoid senses? How about senses? earlier, when you weren't hearing some truth, <laughs> you, the ship's lie detector, say something. Yep. Instead of just looking right at him like, how come you didn't want to fuck me? Yep. And uh, Data put that tuxedo on right over his jumpsuit. 
I wish I could. I wish I could remember this episode as the way you did without any data in it, or without this data subplot in it. Yeah, I just to me the B plot of this episode is he's just banging ladies on the ship. Yep. Uh, I got some quick hitters too. I have, the first one I have is did I miss in the captain's log why they went to this place? You did not. Okay. Um, is this whole episode IRL meant to light a fire under Frakes? Like, look <laughs> at who we almost hired to play Riker. See how much cooler Ooh. he is than you? Oh, he's charismatic. Everyone loves oh, him. He's even pretty tall. Maybe you should be charismatic. Oh, he's got a little ponytail. Yeah, you see, I think they did this to fuck with Frakes. Because why would you hire the guy who you almost hired to play Riker? And then I think that's just how casting is. And then just have him come on I mean. and be like the ultimate badass that everyone is just verbally. Yeah, loving. Wesley's like, I love you, Daddy O'Connor, yeah. etc. Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, is, is that a woman's voice I hear? Yeah, dude, they come in all types, some even with boobs now. Yep. There's even a woman on there. Uh, and then I have Terry Hatcher as Trick McBridge. <laughs> um, so, which came first? This episode? Okay, I already asked this. This episode of the first Ace Rimmer episode, because the vibes this guy is putting out there are extremely familiar. Um, I assume this came first, by the way. This is from 1990. When was that? When was Dimension Jump? That feels like season five. Yeah, it's true. Ace Rimmer wasn't around in the first couple seasons yeah. or anything. <clears throat> um. I know Okana was all over this lady and actually all these ladies, but it takes two, right? Like, oh yeah, they were for they were horny for it for sure. Shouldn't she get a talking to about sexing up the ship's guests? I feel like there are diplomatic issues and like conflicts of interest that could arise from becoming romantically involved with non-Federation guests. Just saying, just on a serious note. I don't know. There don't even seem to be rules about not fucking your co-workers in the Federation, so maybe it's pretty much whatever you want to do. Well, I mean, Picard just basically tells him that there aren't any rules. He's like, oh, I don't know, my crew can fuck whoever they want. It's yeah. like, uh, all right. Uh, I hate this dude's puffy sleeves. Really yeah, he's got the whole look me. going, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Okana has haunted romance secrets. You can tell when Data points out that the act of love and the emotion are different, and he gets real quiet and serious and looks off camera and goes, maybe so. Yep. <laughs> I just, I really wanted him to be wearing Riker's outfit when he did it. Yeah, um, for sure. Hey, dude, who says there are no good parts for women? <laughs> Terry Hatcher got to play Trick McBridge, the lady that O'Connor jizzes on before he finds another woman to defile. Yeah. I hope she treated her agent to dinner on what was surely a really fat paycheck. Probably a good a good one. Uh, oh, Joe Piscopo, cool. Tip O'Neill joke. That's really... It's great. Yeah, for some reason they make him a fucking Poconos comedian, too. Like... Brutal. I know this was... Old people, like people. This was definitely people born in the 1940s writing this, but yeah. still, woof. Yeah, I zoned out for a while. How long was that Piscopo scene where he and Data are in there? I swear to Quite God, long. I zoned out. Why did Data put his hand on Guinan on his way out of ten forward? Yeah, I found it icky. Yeah, and then I say, "Oh, is the plot going to happen now? A ship finally showed up." Um. Why did we come along on this trip with Worf? To go see him fetch Okana? Yeah. 
Why did the we no watch stakes him trip to go fetch O'Connor with music and w- watching him walk all the way down the hall? Is it? So- it is very. It is very suspenseful. It's like they're gonna go. It's like he's going after Rogan Dana, yeah. but it's he's not. He's just gonna pick up <laughs> O'Connor. Yeah, he's just gonna like very casually take him back to the bridge. Is it so we can see the guy caught with a like a chesty broad or something? Like is that? I guess that's it. Yeah. <sighs> all right. I mean, that's all I had basically. I gave best actor to Jordy. He didn't really earn it, but no one did. No one earned it, yeah. And worst actor to Data, of course, and forever. He's not, uh, he's the Harry Kim of TNG. Oh, it's great that you said Harry Kim. (laughs) Because this week we watched Alliances. Sixteen. I would have played all of that song, but it's like seven minutes long. I was going to say, maybe you can explain your musical uh, choice. There's no there's no songs about alliances. I looked it up. That's really true. I mean, it's like there's basically... <laughs> I looked up one and I got excited, but it turned out that uh, it was just whoever transcribed the lyrics misheard it. <laughs> and, then I, and then there's like one song by heart called Allies, and I almost went with that, but it's not good. Yeah. So that's uh, Changing of the Guard. It's a Bob Dylan song, but that's by Frank Black and the Catholics. Uh, all right. Hey, this episode really gets off to a roaring start. Uh, Why are you doing this one? Oh, because okay. I had it separated the original way. Right, because we didn't know we were going to do this. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter. I make it all up as I go along. Do you have it one makes written no out difference. for this? Go for it. Okay. Um, so it just starts uh, mid-battle, or I guess at the end of a battle, uh, with uh, some Kazons. And boy, Voyager is really beat up, you know, until a couple hours later when it won't be anymore, because that's how the ship works. To make matters worse, Kurt Bandera is dead. Yeah, that's right. They're straight up losing crew members now to this nonsense. And they're like, they're real down about it. They're like, ah, goddamn, we're constantly having to deal with these fucking Kazons who are always on our shit. What are we going to do about this old problem? And Chakotay is just like... He's really on one, and he won't let it go. He keeps saying, hey, we should probably make friends with these Kazons. we got to stop doing things the Federation way. Maybe it's time we do things the Maquis way. That's what he says a lot. He has no, by the way, no further suggestion at this time as to what the Maquis way yeah, is. Yeah, just, just do things, just stop doing things the Federation way, let's do things the Maquis way. Because, uh, you know, that's going to solve the problem. Anyway, eventually they start kicking around the idea of, like, making an alliance with one or two of the Kazon sects. And that way they'll be, you know, destabilizing the one thing the Kazon have in common, which is that they want to fuck up Voyager. And they'll get some protection. But it's, like, super against Federation principles. Yep. It's pretty much a no-no. It's a definite no-no. It's a real basic no-no. But, you know, Janeway talks to Tuvok, and what Tuvok says goes, and... Just like he did when he stole the technology and tried to sell it to those aliens. He go yeah. he flips on the Federation and goes, but maybe in this case, like my Look sweet the- orchids. 
I want to be clear what's happening here. Janeway is not happy with the advice she gets from Chakotay, so she goes to talk to his archenemy too. <laughs> yes, exactly. And when he says, no, I agree, she goes, then I'm all in. I'm 1,000% in, and I was from the start, if anybody asks. Because uh, Tuvok has some great points about some super sweet orchids he's growing. Uh, that yep. really seals the deal. She starts to smile like an idiot as he tells the story. Yeah, he's learned to teach by analogy, um, which is <laughs> better than making a kind a run of, laps. A kind of, he should have made a run laps <laughs> while shouting, "We need an alliance." <laughs> well, it's good that he's learning. Maybe if he still gets to teach classes, then he'll um, apply that knowledge. Uh, anyway, so they try to make a they they make an effort to make an alliance. They send Neelix out to talk to some somebody he had. A, contact with in the past in one of the sects and he gets oh he gets captured but who do they throw him in a cell with the trabe we've heard their name before but i don't blame you for forgetting it they were previously mentioned as the people who the kazon rebelled against and uh, overthrew and stole all their technology and shit yep so neelix meets like 40 of these trabe dudes in a cave and they already have a, a plan in action to escape and they bust Neelix out, too, while they're at it. And it turns out they got a fleet they're putting together. Uh, a trade fleet to, you know, strengthen numbers and they want to go find a place to live or whatever. So, yeah, because they talk a lot of good game about their good, peaceful intentions and how sorry they are for how they treated the Kazon. Yeah, that's the, the guy they bring on who uh, previously in TNG played the guy who uh, uses magic stones to steal the youth from ladies <laughs> that's one of the worst episodes anyway so that they bring out this guy which is how i knew immediately he would end up being a bad guy because yep, that's it's a what, real good hint that's what that guy is cast as i think if you've ever been cast as that character that if you see that person again that's what they're there for um anyway but yeah he talks a good game at uh the grand dinner they have about how well, all the Kazon stuff was really their fault and uh, by the way that's what becomes of troy <laughs> That episode. She does become one of the ladies whose youth is stolen by magic stones. Maurice Hurley. <laughs> she sluts it up real good. She sluts it up and she's mad. <sighs> hey, you know what? At least you got to do some acting. Um. So, Janeway decides to throw her lot in with the Trabe instead, because she likes the Trabe better than the Kazons. She uh, she talks to Maj Kala and, uh, what's her name, Fresca, but she doesn't like how that conversation goes. So, she... It it by the way it doesn't go great but it does the talks do kind of break down over some light rudeness. Yeah, what does he say? Something about how a lady can't tell him what to do or something? Does he make a Basically. comment like that? Yeah, exactly. And she's not into that shit. Uh, you know, cousin. she's not real federation about it. She is basically uh, Troy and Tasha Yar asking Riker if he's really going to put on that ridiculous get up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She. Uh... He's worn feathers. So. Yeah. How's this different? Also, I'm definitely gonna fuck this lady, is what he said. I am gonna, I'm gonna fuck her for real, though. So, <laughs> stop going back to that wonderful episode. Hey, I like that episode better than you did. Um, one of the rare ones. So anyway, she decides to throw in her lot with the Trabe. The Trabe call for a, a grand meeting of all the Mages. That am I pronouncing that right? Yep. They're going to make peace. Gonna, all yeah. of these modules. All the Kazons and the Trabe are going to get together and make peace. Except, oh, no, the Trabe just lured them there so they can execute them with a. Uh, assassinate them all with a shuttle flying outside the window. Yep. Um, so it turns out the Trabe are bad, too. And uh, I think that's pretty much how they leave it. Is uh, she, She's like, hey, let this be a lesson to everybody. Um, I was right. 
the first thing I said. Not, <laughs> That's the, right. not the thing that Tuvok said about the orchids. Let's forget about that. <laughs> then Tuvok had a plan that never would have worked. <laughs> That's right. And then uh, the episode's over. So uh, what did you think about this one? Yeah, boy. Obviously, the lesson here in this episode is supposed to be um, stick to the playbook. Yeah. The people who wrote it are smarter than you. Yes, that's right. Don't question the rules. So, I'm a little troubled by this take because, like, 90% of the time is probably good advice. Sure. But, it is kind of dogmatic and... It's anti-individualistic and it's... Okay, but I don't want so concerned about individualism so much as it's it like, assumes just that following you, can't, orders. you can't apply your best judgment to a scenario and act in good faith. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I'm never a huge fan of dogma in Star Trek. Sure. And I think that's why I like Picard, because he just does what he wants anyway. Yeah, he hems, but it's he usually the right, But it's usually the right thing to do. Yeah. Um... So I gave that I think that I gave that premise a 4. Like uh, to me that's just on the bad side of because again most of the time yeah, probably don't make something up like especially something that's sort of time tested like hey, let's not affect the balance of power of this entire quadrant that we're leaving. Right. You know. Now, what if you don't phrase it the way you phrase it, but you phrase it okay. exactly the way she phrases it? Which is in a land in a land without rule or whatever she says. You you must cling. Whatever she says, something about how you gotta, you gotta stick to your own rules. Yeah, you must cling ever tighter to your own principles or whatever. Yeah, so, nothing. Well, no, like you said, that's an "I told you so" speech, and <laughs> it, uh, was. it really was. Yeah. All right. Um, so, so I that was a four for me. I had the same take. I just phrased it how I thought how I thought I remembered she phrased it, and uh, you know it's the prime directive and non-interference for the win. You know, uh, I actually thought it was worth a six because it's at least something. It's like um, what she's giving you is a, a guiding rule to think about or something. Like, hey, if you're in a place without rules, you gotta you gotta look yeah, inward. You gotta. It like... is at least not a question. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which are always the weak ones. Um, yeah, so I give it a six. I thought it was easily identifiable and, uh, an actual take. And, um, execution-wise, how do you think this episode did? Alright, I will admit that I found myself interested in the confusing mess Voyager was in, and what ranks were forming among the crew. Janeway, oh, interesting. Janeway doesn't want to buddy up with the Kazon, but you know, those two Maquis we'd never seen before were somewhat interesting. Where was Lieutenant Carey? Chakotay brought it up in the first place, but then he rejects Janeway's choice of an ally when she's talking about Fresca. Paris is all in on working with Fresca, and Kim is mouthing off to Janeway in the staff meeting, and Torres is almost in tears defending Janeway against some that other Maquis slander. So, By the way, it makes perfect sense that Kim would um, be dogmatic about Starfleet rules. Because he's Wesley. He is exactly Wesley. We're with Starfleet. We don't lie. Um, but he hasn't had his vision quest yet. So I thought it was interesting, the lines that they were having form. Um, and, you know, it was, in, it was an interesting way of showing the, the stakes and sort of the straining 
circumstances. Um, and obviously they do a good job of showing why non-interference is the way to go, but I mean, it's mainly because they don't do it very good. They're not good at interfering. It's true. They're not smart about it. They don't make good decisions. The real takeaway should be just make good decisions. Just like yeah. do a good job. Um, now, I had lots of positive things to say, but I have I have to <laughs> deduct points for strippers in Star Trek. Get your strippers true. out of my Star Trek. I don't need it. They're going and by to the a, way, uh, that bar should be much nastier than that, right? Yeah, it wasn't even that nasty. It's, it's a it's a basically a go go dancer on stage, mm-hmm. and uh, Neelix's shady friend is playing dominoes. Yep. So you just take I mean, he's the doing lady he's out. literally he's doing a puzzle. He's actually doing a puzzle. <laughs> so just take the lady out and have the guy doing a puzzle. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Get your strippers out of my Star Trek. Still, I gave it a seven. Okay. We're way off again, aren't we? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we're a little bit off. Um, I gave it as many as a four. Okay. So, unfortunately, there are about 40 lessons you could take away from this episode. Yes, because they messed everything up. And Janeway's end speech just kind of comes off as an I told you so. It absolutely was. Because she also could... You know, another lesson you could take from this is take like one second to think it over before you jump in bed with people who are known to be shady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, also, like, think about... She if she just your... announces that she believes people can change. So she's all in on all of these slave owners and sons of slave owners. It, but also, she's not examining her own prejudices, because if she really believes everyone could change, then why wouldn't the Kazon be able to change? That's right. What is it about the trade that she trusts more than the Kazon? Is it that they're white? It's they're white. Thank you! They're white. They're, they're white. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. Um. Also, the Kurt Bandera stuff at the beginning is weird. We don't need the personal angle to explain why the Maquis aboard Voyager think that they're making a bad decision, think that they're making mistakes. Yeah. And also, it doesn't seem to factor into anything Kurt's good buddies, Chicote or Balana, do later. <laughs> nope. Like... You know, it, it shows... I think it's a way of showing that they are sad, and then it does not matter in any way. Yeah, but, like, they say his name 15 times. Yeah. Oh, they got stories. Stories and stories. It turns out that uh, he's Chicote's best friend, and they, uh, the, which by the way, their friendship was cemented because Kurt Bandera is always looking for a fight. <laughs> just, Great dude to be friends with. Just, just the kind of person real, you need in the in this new quadrant. Just a real gem of a dude. <laughs> um, that's why I was friends with my my friend Eric. Although most of the time he wanted to fight us. So the pro- so yeah, some of the main problem here is if you're gonna. If you're going to show that Starfleet policy, like sticking with established policy is the best way to go, don't have the characters making a hundred other bad decisions on the way. Make their one bad decision be abandoning the policy. I agree. So, uh, that's why I gave it a four. What's, um, let's see what Ben's take is. I imagine oh, Ben's much more like you on this one, actually. He's a, he's a seven on the take. Oh, damn. And, and he just says Janeway's. He just puts Janeway's monologue in there. Okay. And a six on execution. Um, because I think because there are stakes. I mean, they definitely. I think they had been coasting along on the filler episodes, and I think they were saving it up. And they're like, "This is mid-season. We're just gonna we're gonna throw a little bump in the road. It starts in an action sequence." They gotta meet a lot of. They meet some new aliens. There's a lot. There's like four battles, like shoot, yeah. like shooting, fucking shit going on. So you know. 
So yeah, in the top half, you and Ben are thirteens, and I'm an eight on this episode. So we're man, we cannot we cannot get on. The we same don't have it together this week. Yeah, yeah it's very interesting. Um, world building. Okay. Uh, well, there's some stuff. Voyager's down three crewmen at this point. Uh, are we going to start keeping a tally so that we can laugh? I'm not going to. It's on X Astra Sanchez. <laughs> so we you can don't laugh at it. how many crew have died. Um, we learn a lot about the Trabe here. Yes. Which is, is as interesting as the Kazon will be. So I guess it's interesting until the point when we stop caring about the Kazon. Which I assume yeah. will happen because I know there's Borgs and shit in Voyager. I consider the Trabe part of the Kazon story for sure. Yeah. So it's more it's it's more Kazon world building. Uh, we also it also seems that Voyager must be a pretty big strategic balancing force because the Trabe are going from running for their lives but with one extra ship, yeah, which is Voyager, now they're going to go on the offensive. Yeah, it's not really clear the kind of damage that Voyager has done to the Kazon in all these battles. Yeah, maybe really they've isn't. been blowing the shit out of them or whatever. That's something that Seska and Kula could have talked about in the scenes when they were on their own ship. That would have been nice. All they Instead ever talk about is Kula being like, but Kula women sexist. can't be in charge! And it makes Seska mad. Yeah. Uh, and the events in this pretty much destroy any chance of good relations with any Kazon faction. Yep, they've messed up the so, whole part of space. They definitely did world building in this. I gave it five points. Uh, I had most of the same stuff. The uh, three crew have died in recent attacks. More stuff about the inner workings of the Kazon. Continuing struggle for dominance among the sects. The Trave and their history. Uh, three torpedoes apparently do nothing to a Kazon raider with its shield still intact. Yeah, that's surprising. They fire three... I don't know how many fucking torpedoes they have either. But they fire <laughs> three torpedoes at this thing and it just kind of goes, alright, I guess it's time to go. <laughs> it just flies away. <laughs> <clears throat> I had it as a four, but um, I guess it depends on how much you weigh the Trabe in the Kazon story or whatever. I mean, that's mostly what happens in this episode, so. Yeah. The Kazon have been the major villain so far, although the Vidians are spookier. I just can't figure out how much, how big their space is, or if Voyager's just not making any progress. Because they... We're halfway through season two, more than halfway now, and they're just... Yes, they should have gone 15,000 light years by now. Yeah, they're just hanging out in case on space, I guess. I mean, forget forget that we're halfway through season two. I think in the Caretaker episode, the second Caretaker episode, they said that they'd been in there for 10 months. Yeah. So really, they should have gone like 10,000 miles, according to their original... 10,000 light years, according to their original estimate, which is a huge distance. It's ridiculous that they're still in Kazon space. But here's the thing. We know they're not going. They're stopping stopping to look in every cave and get organs stolen and everything. Yes, they are absolutely not moving their fucking asses. Uh, Characterization? Characterization, yeah. What do you give it? Uh, Yeah. Torres goes back a ways with some of these Maquis, passionately defends Janeway to this Maquis engineer, and finally admits Seska is a dead end. I guess this is a Chakotay Janeway butting heads episode. They're really pulling out all the stuff. Oh, wait, no, I don't care at all about this. Is, Ch- <laughs> is Chakotay bringing the hard truth or just running away when things get tough? How's that for a hot take? It's a it's an interesting question. Because he's like, he's been so uh, pro Federation. His arguments don't even make any sense. He literally says at one point, maybe these rules work well in the Alpha Quadrant, but we're not in the Alpha Quadrant anymore. 
And it's like, that's not really the point. Maybe the rules work when um, you're surrounded by Federation space. Yeah, it's a, it is a, maybe they work when you're in a structured society and you're not the only ship on your own. Yeah. That's more... He that's have much said more that. to do with it than because <laughs> there are some Kazons here. Yeah, he should have said that. Um, Tim Russ sucks, huh? Yeah, he sucks real bad. He's, it's depressing to think we got hella more time with him. He smirked like a gross rapist when he told Janeway she was very perceptive. And I yeah. almost vomited because of it. Anyway, he breaks character and agrees with arch-nemesis Chakotay about breaking with non-interference policies. Uh, Neelix has a history with some unsavory folks in his time. Also, he's not good at reading who his friends are and who they aren't. No, he does get captured within three minutes of interrupting this dude's puzzle. Uh, Janeway pulls out all the hospitality stops and even pours this dude his wine. Yep. She really treats him like he's that European pervert from the other episode. Maybe it was his hair or something. Could be. Janeway is still, despite everything... Maddeningly naive. Yes. <laughs> Did you see the slow zoom onto her face while she smiled and talked about how people have the capacity for change? Yep. I almost expected a smash cut to the trade guy like raping a Kazon child. I mean, it should have been something like that, right? It was. If this nuts. was an HBO show, that's what the cut would have been. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was like, whoa. <sighs> but the attempted assassination makes the point. Um. We see in this that Fresca is playing this baby card with Kulla as well as Chakotay. Yep. Because she has already previously told Chakotay that the baby is uh, is his. I have to put Kulla in here because he's been in like a million episodes now. He is a boob. Uh, for real. He's a boob. <laughs> and it's, he is a boob. It's fine because Fresca is still behind him as the real threat. But, um, I mean, really, we are not supposed to be even a little bit scared of this guy, right? No, but um, but that said, I am beginning to enjoy this portrayal a little more. You like Kulla in this episode? Well, cut to it. I actually gave him best actor for this one. Oh, nice. Well, not, I... not not a lame level, obviously. I uh, I gave all but this something more like a he's like half a Shran is where I put him <laughs> on a scale from zero to one Shrans. On a zero, no, on a scale from zero to one, a lameo. Oh, okay. Lameo's at least two Shrans. All right, good. Um. I gave it a five in characterization. Okay. Well, so we're not too far off here. I gave it as many as four points. Um, yeah, Janeway's pretty gung-ho on these Sons of Slave owners. Now Tuvok is pretty flexible. Yeah. Uh, I guess that makes sense, though, from the guy who was willing to give a bunch of perverts all of the ship's novels or whatever. Yeah, he really went rogue in that one. Uh, I really get the sense that Torres's loyalty is specifically to Janeway and not to the Federation or their principles to w- the point where I actually think it would be interesting to see that explored. I 100% believe that is true also. that she, like, that if, They have established that she is loyal to Janeway. That if she's incapacitated in some way that uh, either her loyalties will revert or won't matter or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you covered most of it. Uh, yeah, I gave it a four. What, let's see how Ben gave, ranked the uh, second half of this episode. He gave it a four in the world building. Um, he's asking about Prime Directive things. This, this is really I don't a think non- the Prime Directive specifically applies here. Yet. Yeah, this is a non-interference issue and not necessarily a Prime Directive issue. They don't want to get involved in uh, messing with the balance of power in other people's societies and shit. Um... Let's see. 
We give it a six in characterization. Uh, he likes the continuity of the characters and the continuing story with uh, Seska, I assume, and Chakotay. Um, Janeway's shown to be smart and determined, flexible enough to take advice and make diplomatic overtures, but when things go south, she takes control and tries to salvage the situation. So that's how he added on the back end. Uh, quick hitters? Quick hitters. Uh, who is fucking Kurt Bandera? No, okay, don't worry. Okay, he saved Torres' life once. <laughs> You'll find out. God, I hate Neelix's mullet. Yeah. They gave him that originally because he was just some dude living in trash, but now that he, like, has a home and, like... <laughs> he could people, get a haircut. Yeah, why doesn't he go get a haircut from the hollow barber or whatever? Um, uh, This Maquis Hogan, he's like a straight Scott Thompson from Kids of the Hall. <laughs> I, I spent half the episode looking at that guy going, he looks like somebody. And then I worked it out. Barjan and I recently saw him appear on a show doing stand-up. And uh, Scott's the super gay one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he looks manic. Like, Oh, by the way, when you say the super gay one, you mean the only gay member of the kids in the hall, right? Well, because they all did things that Canadians thought right. meant and like, high humor. Our, our father was morally certain that they were all gay except for Kevin McDonald. And I don't know where he got that information from. I love that Kevin McDonald got the gay He's pass, the straight one. Yeah. Which, again, for our father, was meant he was the best one. Yes. He got the gay pass for some reason. I don't know why. They all played ladies looked and they all... Too goofy? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he looks uh, just manic and crazed. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Uh, the subtitler, whoever did this, doesn't know the word disparate. Okay. Oh, because it just says desperate. Oh no, it said something crazier. Like oh, they just missed said entirely. Oh, okay. Yes, somebody said disparate, and it was not. They didn't get it right. Um, and then oh, whoops! Uh, Wrath of Khan two stole that uh, scene where they attacked the conference room with a shuttle from Voyager. I almost said that earlier, but I didn't even want to talk about that film. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird lift. I uh, I gave best actor to Kala and worst actor to Harry Kim had like one line and it wasn't convincing. <laughs> one of the ones where he was mouthing off the Janeway or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you must have had a few quick hitters. Yeah. I it, assume just a few. This episode starts with uh, what I have to call game time started. Because that's what yep. I said out loud when it was all mid action. Uh, the death of a nobody to let you know right away that we've got stakes exclamation mark. This is going to be one of those times in Voyager where I go, hey, they were totally crippled last week, and now it's just business as usual, huh? Starships are easy to fix. I mean, out. I'm sure that's what's going to be happening. By the way, not like Enterprise this week. We'll talk about that. Yes. Um, I kind of wonder, based on what we know about B- Beltran, <laughs> Yep. Isn't what he's doing here actually kind of hard? Perform in an emotional scene when you've already totally checked out i (laughs) i see what you're saying like i know when i've like left a job and it's like the last week of that job the hardest thing in the world for me to do is my job because like i know i'm leaving everyone knows i'm leaving but i still have some shit i gotta do and it's just like god i really don't want to do this i would just rather not do i don't want to do it because i'm not invested anymore i'm not gonna be here and he had really he basically says in that book the whole time that he was just totally checked out from the start and didn't care and it was just a paycheck so he's got to like try to show up every week 
and maybe that's why he does such a bad job, but it's like, that's a really hard thing to do. It does seem like it. To try to be dedicated and engaged when you're, when you're not. Anyway, I was just noticing that when he was, um, acting. I already said that old trade fucker is the guy with the magic stones. Um, (laughs) damn, Tom Paris is balding so fast. It's very sad. It's very sad to look at. I know it was evident by episode two. I don't know how much time there was between the pilot and episode two, but by episode two, you could already see his hairline receding, but now it's like, it's running for the hills. Yep. I bet they wish they'd hired somebody else for this, honestly. Yeah, I bet, I bet they think now it wasn't so cool to bring Nick Locarno back, huh? <laughs> He's, it's going to be hard for him to pull off cool ladies, well, man. First of all, they immediately gave up on playing him as a, a bad boy. Yeah, I think his hair did it. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think they showed up on episode two and went, oh, I don't think we can do that anymore. Now, for some reason, they've got him running the commando raids. It doesn't... <laughs> they didn't ever they didn't figure out what they wanted to do with Last him. week, he was so eager to do a commando raid. Uh, this Trabe dude acts like it's nuts that the Kazon are still mad 35 years later. But, like, <laughs> how long were they oppressed by the Trabe? Follow-up yeah. question, how are things going for the Kazon these days? Yep. Is there these any are reason, very good questions. Is there any reason at all they should feel content and, like, willing to forgive anything? <laughs> uh, that's all I had. All right. Well, we'll do the scores in a minute, but this week we watched Dead Stop. <clears throat> Wailing guitars! No one's gonna bend on they couldn't get Brian Adams. I think this is you. I think this is a Judah. Enterprise is still undergoing repairs from the Romulan minefield, limited to warp two, and unable to call home. And Archer makes the tough choice of sending a general distress call. A passing Tellarite freighter sends coordinates to a nearby repair station, but it seems to be abandoned and the atmosphere inside is not sustainable until the station scans Enterprise and reconfigures itself for the ship. Hmm. Although it is suspicious and no contact has been made, Archer takes the ship in. On board, they find sophisticated diagnostics of the ship's systems with everything labeled in English. Then it starts asking for payment, and then it immediately begins repairing the ship, and these repairs, which Trip insists would have taken months at Jupiter Station, will be completed in 34.2 hours. And uh, everyone gets to go uh, eat replicator food. Right. Which, by the way, our recipes were scanned from the Enterprise's database. Get it? It's sinister. Well, Archer and, gets it. And Exocomp stands on its head and fixes Reed's leg. <laughs> uh, Archer is suspicious. Trip and Reed decide to be bad guests and go looking for the computer core, uh, tripping an alarm and being transported back to the bridge. They were hoping they'd meet, like, hot ladies on the way. They were basically... Um, Every they got they tripped the alarm because every eight feet they kept saying how they weren't gay yeah. and how much they like tits. It did set off an alarm. It set off an alarm. Um, Mayweather gets called down to the launch bay by Archer, but he finds that Archer's missing and a computer is damaged. And then Archer gets called down to the launch bay by T'Pol, but this one's real because Flox is examining a dead Mayweather. He went to the laser room, dude. He went to the laser room, even though he shouldn't have. He's now in the Possum Kingdom. <laughs> Archer uh, tries to talk to the unhelpful computer, but that's not anything. And Hoshi interrupts Mayweather's autopsy to say goodbye. But somehow Flox has an aha moment, and he realizes that the Mayweather in sickbay is replicated. Oh boy. Uh, 
Archer and his whole fucking command staff head into the station and they die hard. They go through the die hard shoots. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, while Trip uh, does some slapstick about being a dissatisfied customer. He does a little vaudeville piece with the computer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, T'Pol and Archer find a whole matrix of kidnapped dudes serving as the station's data core. And uh, then the ship has to fight its way free. And Reed detonates the warp plasma that they were paying with as a bomb. And the ship gets out. And then over the credits, as sinister music plays, the station begins to repair itself. Matt, what is this episode about? All right. There's no such thing as charity, dog. That's what I came away with. Archer, <laughs> What's that worth to Archer you? insists these dudes aren't out here helping people for 200 liters of warp plasma or whatever. And it must be some kind of scam, and of course he's right. It's cynical in a decidedly anti-Trek way, but it's probably true. I gave it a six. <laughs> I just feel like it's true. And Starfleet, Star Trek sometimes tries to tell you it's not, but it is. Yep, I guess that's true. No, no fucking free lunches out here, man. Man, okay. They're going right. to turn your body into a computer. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, so of course we have the same take. <laughs> I, I wrote, things that seem too good to be true usually are, or there's no such thing as a free breakfast with Captain Archer. Okay, good. Um, and you gave I it only gave seven it a three points. Because what? of course it is a terrible and non-Star Trek take. Like, he is suspicious and paranoid, but by the way, he still just goes along with it. And also he has no choice but to go along with it. He's hedging, dude. He's like, I don't believe this. But I'll go along with it, and if it works out, it's fine. But then if it doesn't work out, he can be like Janeway and be like, I think yeah. we all learned a lesson, I'm right. But that's all he'll get out of it if it doesn't work out, is he gets an I told you so. Yeah, he loves that. You're, yes, of course he loves it. It's crazy <laughs> that Janeway loves it. Archer is a baby man. Do you want to check again? Are you sure you didn't give it a seven? On the I tape? gave it three. All right, okay. You're not talking me all the way up to a seven no, on I only gave paper. it a six, but I thought maybe you gave it a seven. <laughs> Execution, uh, how'd you feel about that? Okay, uh, I also gave it a three for execution. Okay. Um, an unresolved mystery as to who built this damn station and what it's all about, that's pretty unsatisfying. Also, it's not like anyone was like, hey, none of this makes sense and I don't think we should do it. So, yeah. no, one any, no one learned anything. Well, you mean because the option was never presented to not do it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, They're just like, yeah, we're going to do it. I feel like the option was ignored by everyone for sure. Like, T'Pol just looks at him and goes, well, what choice do we have? Yep. And, like, they could have sat there and gone, well, let's let's maybe just see what else is out there. <laughs> we could blow this up with missiles and use it as parts. Yep. Uh, and why do we need to reward suspicious and paranoid behavior on this show where all the crew already hate each other? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> like, I just don't. No, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me, Enterprise. Don't do you like that? Don't do me like that. Yeah. No, no, me like that. <clears throat> okay. But well, maybe, since you thought it was such a fantastic take, maybe you also enjoyed the execution. I gave it a D- minus on the take. Let's relax. Six out of ten is not great. <laughs> it's um, great for this show. <laughs> so, of course, the station had a scam going on, which was obvious from the start. Um, I guess we already live in a society where people spend their time and resources trying to ruin shit for everybody else, so why wouldn't that extend to alien cultures as well? Uh, this final plan is crazy dumb. 
Yes. How did they know the arms would let go when they blew the old boy up? Oh, the arms didn't even all come off. Yep. They're still just hanging on to him. So they could have just blown the arms off and fled that way. Yeah, it seems like probably what they should have done. Through the whole fucking operation. Uh, Not having a B-plot was a nice touch, because they're usually terrible. Yeah, I guess the um, Mayweather dying thing isn't a B plot, is it? Well, no, the B plot is uh, Reed. Reed hurt his dang old leg. That's the B plot. No, I guess not. It resolves <laughs> right away, huh? That Exocomp fixes it immediately. Fixes his leg right away, and then he's doing commando raids the rest of the episode. If that's not an Exocomp, I'll eat my hat. But <laughs> I wasn't looking at it when it was happening. Let me hold on. I want to look it up right now. The name of this was what again? This episode. Dead stop. Dead stop. Just the Google Dead Stop Exocomp. Reed's leg. <laughs> Let's see. Um. Yep, the Exocomp casing was used as a medical prop. It's on like yeah. its butt. Yeah, it stood up. Yeah, it like stood up on its hind stood legs. Stood up on its hinders. <laughs> and now it's a fucking, now it's the medical tool. Yeah, I didn't need to look it up. Just looking at this image makes it clear that that is an Exocomp. All right, that's well, good job. Um. What was I saying? Um. Oh yeah, no B plots is nice. I like that, no uh, and I like the carryover content from last week in general. By the way, you notice that uh, TOS doesn't usually have a B plot. Yeah, I like that. I find, even though it's four minutes longer, I find that the B plots are terribly well. They're just wastes of time. Like in most episodes, the B plot is nothing of like TNG or DS Nine or whatever. Um. All right, give it a five. Okay. So once again, right. we're far off. This is not our week for no. um, for being in sync. I was actually amazed uh, for the first, I don't know, 28 weeks or whatever. We were mostly in line on most of the episodes, but this week yeah. is way off. Yeah. Um, you know, through the top half here, I know we're blazing through this one. Enterprise, it turns out, is still hard. It's just boring. We're, we're blazing through this one, but Ben's got a three on the take. Uh, he says, you can't really tell what someone's motivations are until they act. Don't trust automated stations bearing gifts. Hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, that kind of thing. Right? You might see the soldiers. Yeah, you might the soldiers, just the soldiers hiding in there. Yeah. And uh, execution. Uh, By the way, he, you could tell he didn't want to believe that the take could be what we both thought the take was. <laughs> that it, yes, it's too it's unfortunate that the take is no such thing as a free lunch. Yep. Yeah, and then he had execution of four. Which, I, by the way, it's a. F- I understand what you're saying that it's mostly true. It's also not a real scenario. Like no one ever offers you a free lunch. Do you know but what I mean? If like they ever did, you who would is tempting know you with this nonsense? Immediately all the time. that they were trying to use your body as a computer. Yeah, I guess like, so. Instantly, you'd know, and that's because of this show. He thought copying the Matrix wasn't wonderful. He's right. <laughs> yep. I thought, I'm not sure they haven't already done this in Star Trek, using somebody's just stealing people and making them a computer. That's probably happened. Uh, right? Well, it is. It is the plot of Spock's brain. Okay, so there you go. We haven't got to that one yet in this project, but that is for sure a thing. Universally considered, maybe the worst episode of the original <laughs> series, by the way. So definitely, I think Marjan liked that one though. <laughs> uh, he's got some points for general execution, but that's but he gave it four. So, All right. um. Where are you on world building? Mm. Uh, story continuity, which was shocking. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I can't handle two episodes in a row that, like, fit together. 
at warp two, they are a decade away from Jupiter Station. I know warp yeah, two is not probably reasonable. I know it's not that fast, but damn, they got out there. Yeah, I think it's reasonable that warp five is a lot faster than warp two. Yeah, because it's supposedly a big deal that they can go warp five instead of warp four. So obviously, that's got to be pretty significant. It's just it's um, when you think about it, there aren't many ships in Starfleet, and if you're out there that far, that if your sh- engines break, you're just effed. Like no one's gonna come save you. That does seem to be the trade-off that they're all aware of, though, right? Yeah. Like, they know they can maybe call the Vulcans. Yep. Maybe. Which they all hate because they don't like Vulcans. Yep. And they're so petty, they can't overlook it. <laughs> yeah, but they're kind of doing a circumnavigating the globe thing here. Yeah. Uh, Hoshi's job to craft a general distress call. Uh, because it's going out in Interlac or whatever? Yeah, one presumes, yeah, Is that, that the real term? Or send is... it out to a lot of languages. Is I that don't a know. B5 term? That probably is beef. That sounds like B5. Yeah. Regulan bloodworms. Yeah. Vulcans find Tellarites trustworthy, though not very agreeable in general. Or at least that's Yeah, Vulcan it's does. nice to have the Tellarites mentioned, by the way. Also, Tellarites really sold them up the fucking river in this episode. Are they trustworthy? Well, all they was said it... was repair station. <laughs> Maybe it said, don't go, whatever you do, don't go to that station. Well, I think that what we were meant to assume, and I don't know if they showed us a Tellarite in the Matrix Bay, was that the Tellarites didn't catch on to the replica. They thought one of their crewmen had died in an accident, probably doing something he wasn't supposed to, and they were just happy to leave. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, Biomolecular probes. Uh, Oh, cool. Food replicators. Um, The Tarkalians have them already. Apparently. So why doesn't Starfleet get them until the 24th century anyway? Um, yep. They got some of them beamy medical what's-its coming out of that exocomp. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those will be pretty common in the future of the, the Starfleet. Enterprise's main computer is three, dra- three decks high. Yes, that is in there. That's a big computer. I literally have that the exact same way Enterprise's computer is three decks high. The ship's umbilical ports can be used to override their computer commands, question mark. Seems like kind of a whoopsie. Yep. Uh, I give it a four. And that's only because of the world building. The rest that of continuity. it was just random. I mean, sorry, just for the continuity. The rest of it was just kind of random stuff. Yeah, and um, boy, we are, we're back in lockstep because I gave it a four. Okay. And that's part of that is a plus one for continuity. Yeah. So Tellarites, I guess no one would have ever thought of using transporter technology to make water without running across this dangle station, huh? Except the Tarkalians already had it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Archer's still doing his breakfast one-on-ones. That's more continuity. I know, he had to postpone his with the sweet boy Mayweather. Yeah, I think you mean Stim's Mayweather. Stim's Mayweather. That dude is, uh, turns out he's surprisingly jacked. I think we've already seen it in the previous one where he had to go through the uh, de- decontamination bay or whatever. And right. It, that's when we were talking about how if that show had been made 10 years earlier, well, they would have looked like the people on TNG, TNG and DS9 and Voyager look, which is right. not Yeah, it's like, for real, who's the most jacked person on TNG? Just as a uh, guess. Worf seems burly, but I don't know that he has muscles. I wouldn't swear to God he was jacked. I don't know. Picard? <laughs> maybe picard like in know. later seasons although he's kind of wiry he does mo- the most shirt off acting of yeah. anyone in the Action show picard can sometimes try to show off his guns but um yeah. but that's what i'm saying just a 10 year difference and then suddenly everybody on enterprise had to be at least kind of oh jacked. no no no! it's probably geordie right in inner light 
I think we see he's fairly jacked. In inner light? Not inner light, shit. Uh, mind's eye. Oh, do we? I don't know. I don't remember that. Is he jacked you know, in that? Keep an eye on it. I think he's the most jacked mm. member of the cast. All right, we'll have to look into that. But anyway, but yeah, no, but everyone in Enterprise like, is jacked. Such an evolution in TV between... Yep. And by the way, only for men, because it was always like this for women. Yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, but yeah, if you look at... If you look at uh, the people they were putting in tight ass spandex, yep. tight ass lycra in season one of TNG. Oh yeah, and then I mean, look at Riker in anything. And then imagine <laughs> that this little kid would not have got the role of Mayweather if he wasn't extremely jacked. Everyone on Enterprise is jacked, dude. Reed's jacked. Everyone has abs. Like Trip is yep. jacked. Archer Paul is in really good shape abs. for his age. Archer's pretty jacked. Like it's right. it's nuts. It's like, hey, well, you got the new Star Trek. Oh, what am I doing? Oh, you're the ship's navigator. Time to get a personal trainer. <laughs> but don't I just push buttons? Time to start taking growth hormone. Yeah, well, this is going to be a sexy show, though. <clears throat> uh, anyway, that's what I gave, I gave it for for world building. Okay. Characterization. Uh, yeah, it's a two. It's just I a mean, two. I that's pretty common for Enterprise. Listen, um, Tripp's favorite food is catfish. No, I don't. Come on, though. Be serious. Um, what, what do they really want to eat? What's worse, childish Reed and Tucker or Reed and Tucker with a case of the not gays? <laughs> no, th- no, thank you. The second is Siri, stop. It's trying to find you Chinese food. Because of something you said that it picked up over my microphone. <laughs> Did it hear me say catfish? And then... <laughs> oh, I just snotted everywhere. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe it did try to make a catfish connection there. Catfish connection, name of this episode. What? What's worse? <sighs> what's worse, dog? Childish Reed and Tucker or Reed and Tucker with the case of the nod gays? Um, They're both very bad. Yeah, I think they're both like let's let's climb on through the vault thing and find the computer because we're curious. Well, I think you might remember that I was rooting for them to actually be murdered in that other episode where they really yeah. had the case of the not gays. I think that's still the worst. <clears throat> uh, Mayweather was a little prankster. We're told, told, not shown, and suddenly out of nowhere, told. Yep. Yeah. Uh, kind of not a story about characters or emotions at all, except for the bad work done by Reed and Tucker. Two points. To counter that, I have Lazy Turd Trip never got around to fixing the big scuff he left on the hull last year. He also asked for pan-fried pan catfish. And he's real snoopy when he must know it's a bad idea. But Reed will go along with it. Archer is a scared of replicated food because it's out to get him, and he trusts his gut about this station despite T'Pol's awful ideas meant to reconcile the nature of this station. Do you hear T'Pol's terrible ideas about why the station might be this way? What if these people just like helping? She should be fucking fired. Yeah. Travis is 26 years old and weighs 72 kilograms. Oh, by the way, he's way over a buck sixty. Fucking fresh. that dude could Unless not he's be. Tiny. You see, five foot four. Because then I'll say. buy a buck sixty. That dude is meaty. <laughs> That's about as much as we've ever learned about him. Oh, he also liked practical jokes. This is so much more than we've ever learned about Mayweather. Like, even oh, yeah. the one that was all about him, all we learned was that he was a boomer. Which means... Yeah, they left a lot on the cutting room floor Being there. a boomer. Or, by which I mean they never wrote it. Being a boomer means you pooped your pants. That's right. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I forgot to yes and you there. Hoshi was very close to Travis, I guess. 
now she's got him back you think um you know uh, yeah maybe uh i gave it a two i am in agreement let's give it okay because that's so on the back halfway we're in agreement and actually that means we weren't super far apart on this episode yeah <clears throat> all right Jeez. uh what did ben um, have here yeah he had a three for world building and that's including continuity which he mentions um Enterprise is constantly outclassed, and we see even a mobile locksmith equivalent station is able to basically outsmart the whole crew for a long time. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, characterization. Uh, Archer, we already know, is a xenophobe, but dude, he blows up that station and doesn't even try to help the dozens of other kidnapped aliens there. Okay, I mean... That's 100% true. Sure, that's sure that's a fact. They fucking hella hand wave it when Chapal <laughs> says... They've been here a long time. They have severe yes. uh, neural degradation. That's so at home we can go, oh, who cares what happens to them? They're already all fucking, brains are all fried. Even though, like, let's be honest, them Tellarites was just there. They were just, presumed. They were just leaving. There's a, there's, they blew up a Tellarite guy that could have been saved for sure. I got some quick hitters, I think. Yeah, let's hear them. Without knowing who's running this repair station, what their intentions are, and what capabilities they possess, I'm sorry, I wouldn't fly my ship into that thing. I'm just. Oh, by the way, it, it just suspiciously it. opened up for you. Yeah, but it bloomed like a fucking Venus flytrap. Just fly right in there. Uh, and again, clear from the beginning, this is going to be bad news. I don't actually remember from when I watched this what the trouble will be. I have right, I'm writing here in real time, but it's fucking obvious. Um. I actually like this station. Seems kind of badass. Like if it were a real thing that wasn't a scam. Yeah, because uh, you even can go into their cafeteria. They can't... They've even worked out a barter system. Yeah, they're like, hey, we'll take any of these three things for your repairs. Um, Trip and Reed weren't confined to quarters for long, huh? <laughs> yep. As soon as he said the words, it was time for a murder investigation. So. Flox's hypothesis is offered up with very thin evidence, but Archer wants to believe it, so he goes after it full speed. Flox is like, hey, these uh, these guys, these little things in here, these parasites or whatever, they're dead. They shouldn't be dead. You know what that means. Replicated person. Um, And the thought that they could distract this computer with one southern douche is pretty laughable, too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it won't know people are breaking into it if Trip yells at it and asks to speak to the manager? And by the way, this computer does not respond to any freeform queries. Yeah, it doesn't even play along. <laughs> it has not played along at any point so far. It's just... It's so stupid. Um, this is very much like that episode of Babylon 5 with the alien probe, but not as good. The That's one true. where the alien probe comes and gives them all the questions and then tells them if they get it right, then they'll live, and if they get it wrong, they'll blow up the station. But it turns and out it's a... Sheridan, Sheridan realizes that makes zero sense. Yeah, he's like, why? if they're feeling charitable, they wouldn't be blowing up stations. And so the real thing is if they get it right, then they'll get blown up because they're a threat or whatever. Anyway, that was better than this. I know I always have to point it out that Babylon 5 is better. <clears throat> um, it's almost as if it had a writer. Almost <laughs> as if it was written by a writer. That's right. Uh, man, they had better not be setting this up for a rematch. That last bit where the station's ominously repairing itself. I just went, oh, come on. Like, no one wants yep. to see this episode rehashed. How are they going to fall for it a second time? Exactly. What's it going to be? <laughs> Is the station mad and now it's chasing them? <laughs> uh, if the show was self-aware, it would do that. 
are they going to be real injured again? They're going to go back there and they're like, well, we know their game now. So <laughs> they'll never they'll trick we us this We can beat time. them at it. We'll give them the war plasma this time and just make sure no one goes off to the laser room by themselves. Uh, what about you? Any uh, quick ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right when I got to the station, I said, uh, hey, I've seen these doors. Legion is on the other side, and he's going to keep you prisoner and make you eat telekinetic moss. The white, uh, the white paint everywhere? Yep, what did it yep, yep. Yeah. Hey, do you think they are striking a sinister bargain? Mm. Was no one else on the ship injured but Reed? Like, no one even had a little shaving nick? <laughs> I cut myself twice a week. Yeah. I definitely would have shut up on that fucking medical scanner or whatever. Yeah. They're like, well, they found every scratch on the ship, and also, here's Reed. It's true that Reed is what they were prominently displaying when they showed up. Yeah. I was uh, hoping, when Archer was looking at that book, that he would say the station had fixed some of the typos in the book. (laughs) That would have been great. We've repaired your book. There was nothing wrong with the book. We've repaired their book, and they went through it. It was less dumb or something. Uh, we know the Twilight Zone exists in this universe, uh, so I thought for a minute, could Archer be living to serve man? Like, where he's gonna get paranoid and suspicious and ruin a good thing, but no, it's much dumber than that. Yeah. Uh, one billion operations per nanosecond is a number they quote in this. I always do math when they say something like that. That's roughly the power of a th- 100,000 high-end graphics cards. This so is... at least it's still some power. I assumed when I looked it up, I was like, oh, what if that's like two PS4s? Well, and what I was going to ask was, they always say things in Star Trek like, the greatest computer ever built was the human brain or whatever. And then I just wonder, like, is that true? Like, can we not, are we still not at the point in real life where we can build computers that are... I think we're still not there, but it's one of the reasons people talk about the singularity, is that we're... Kind of, we can sort of see it okay. on the horizon. So maybe the computers of the Starfleet are probably better than a human brain. Because well, they're what better they than us. data. Yeah, they, they tell us that they are like they can they can make an opponent capable of defeating data. <laughs> right. So, you know, <clears throat> a lot of uh, wild ass assumptions about station security in this heist. Like uh, they're just going to watch them beam off uh, Reed, but it's not going to beam them out either. Like it doesn't know they're there. Yeah. Because only he triggered it somehow? No intelligence uh, has been gathered before they go into, as you said, diehard mode. Yeah, and then just like you, I wrote, hey, this station rebuilding itself is only sinister if we expect to ever see it again. <laughs> I just can't imagine what that rematch would look like. <laughs> like, wh- what is it? Are they going to have to bail out a Vulcan ship that went there or something? Like, I'm just confused by what I mean, exactly. And then they're, Archer's going to have to be like, oh, yeah, we didn't tell anybody about that. Or, oh, we should have told people. <laughs> or is it just to make us feel bad that the cheats always get their way and they're going to be fine? Like, God, is that it just a negative message to leave it on? Like, not only is everyone a cheat, but you're the only one who's going to get hurt. They'll be fine. I guess. <clears throat> I gave uh, best actor to Flox, maybe, maybe just Flox's contacts. Mm, he's, he's. I think he his doing weird a lot of eyeball eyes acting do a lot well. of acting. It's not so much eyeball acting; he's really doing iris acting. Nice. It's very nuanced. And, uh, I give worst actor to uh, Mayweather. I think he's very bad. He's for sure bad. Well, he's only had ten lines in the whole series, so it's probably pretty hard for him to get a handle on his character. Sometimes he delivers a line, though, and I do a spit take because it's so bad. He's just so obviously reading. Well, I hired him mostly based on his combine, so (laughs) 
Like he did a lot of those bench presses. Yeah, he jumped out of a pool. His forty was pretty good. So you know, he 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 jumped out of a pool one time. Um, you know what? I'm not convinced that the selection process for Star Trek actors is any smarter than the, the NFL selection process. <laughs> <laughs> they should put him through a combine of some kind. He did a viral video and he got into Star Trek because of it. <laughs> All right, we watched uh, one more, right? Four down, one to go. This week we watched Operation Annihilate. This is a, a J-bomb as well. The Enterprise is approaching Deneva 3, the latest planet in a line of systems destroyed by mass insanity. It's already a better premise than any of the other four. And already like, just a, that alone. a very TOS premise, too. Yeah, oh, it's super TOS. As they approach, they contact a ship on course for the system's star. The only transmission he makes before dying is that he's finally free. It's cryptic, so you know it'll come up later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find out Kirk's brother and uh, nephew and I guess sister-in-law are stationed on the planet and they briefly make contact with his sister-in-law Aurelin something like Aurelin? that before beaming down uh, the planet's like USC or something um, but everyone there is hiding indoors except a group who charges at them while shouting go back and we don't want to hurt you uh, menacing them with Lexan rods that's what I yell at people before I hit them with rods. It's just yep. a little bit of a, a tricky situation for them. They find his brother, Sam, dead, and his nephew and sister-in-law unconscious. I'll leave it to you to say who plays his brother, Sam. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, Kirk beams up with his family, leaving Spock behind to investigate, and Aurelan reveals that a ship from one of the Madness Worlds brought things there eight months ago. Jeez. But she seems to be fighting to answer it all, and uh, all she can explain before she dies is that the creatures use pain to control them. You know, just to go back real quick, when you said his brother Sam died, I just immediately thought of the book. The book. My brother Sam. My brother is Sam dead. is dead. Okay. Yeah, anyway. they saw that. They saw this. Okay. Whoever wrote that book about the Revolutionary War also saw this. <laughs> okay, good. Um, Kirk rejoins the party on the surface, and they are all attacked by flying space amoeba. They look like fried eggs. They do look like fried eggs. Uh, they manage to knock one down with a phaser, but before they can get out of there, it latches onto Spock. Uh, McCoy does a surgery on Spock and finds some tissue in him, but also he finds out that tentacles are all shot through his nervous system and he, he can't remove them without killing Spock. Yeah. Uh, Spock summons up his Vulcan powers to master his pain. Um, also to muscle up some people in engineering. And muscle it up real good to <laughs> attempt to make his way down to the surface, which uh, Kirk eventually just lets him do. Yep. It was very logical of him to attack the Enterprise crew to get beamed down there. Yeah. So he goes down there and uh, snatches up a creature and starts studying it. And uh, just like uh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, I don't remember. No, two weeks ago, when they reached the wild conclusion that Lazarus is from a negative universe. Mm-hmm. Spock uh, immediately reasons out correctly that each individual single-celled amoeba is one part of a huge gestalt organism brain. You're right. Well, he saw many of them, so, I mean, what else What else could you draw from that? At this point, Kirk remembers that the dude who went into the sun said that thing about being free and starts to latch onto that, but it takes McCoy a long time to figure it out. He can't seem to kill the creature, even with uh, huge heat. Um, but then Kirk has a 
so Kirk briefly flirts with the idea that he might just have to kill all of the one million people on this planet so yeah. that it doesn't spread. Um, seems like he should call someone before making that decision. It's but fine. He thinks Trek about it a little bit further and he outthinks the other scientists in the room. Yeah, eventually he has an aha moment and realizes that uh, light, light is the weapon that they need. Uh, so they manage to kill the creature with a real bright light. And then they send Spock right in that thing. They ain't got time. They keep saying. Every time you ask a rational question at home, like, well, why don't they just study it? No time. At first, before you can even say that at home, Kirk is yelling about how they don't have time for anything. Right. Uh, So they light him up, and he comes out of there no pain, but completely blind. At exactly which moment, Nurse Chapel shows up with the (laughs) test results from killing that amoeba and says, oh, you don't need to use light. It's just like, you just need UV. Yep. That's right. And Spock, as Kirk says, need not have been blinded. <laughs> That's I hard. love whoever wrote this. It's okay. They gave these people great dialogue. It's How well we both know that. <laughs> it's, okay. <laughs> it's okay because Spock is aggressively stoic. That's true. Uh, they bombard the uh, planet with intense UV light to kill the creatures. And uh, Spock shows up at the bridge healed because he has a special Vulcan trait. Some kind of inner <laughs> eyelid that no one knew about. Man, could that blindness have been less important? It uh, didn't matter at all. Except, I guess, maybe in terms of my take for it. But what's your take? Let's start there. Well, if we're talking about take, I think we should talk about Ben. Okay. Because this is... Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. That clip is too long. No, I, I and now I think that. we need to add more to it. <laughs> I think it needs to get longer every time. <laughs> I'll add a. We should add a sound. We'll just add another sound effect on the end of that. Just do some stuff right at the beginning. That's like pick of the week. Pick of the week. <laughs> pick of the week. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So uh, this was the the episode that Ben liked the best, and he actually yeah. happened to give uh, straight sixes to each, yeah to all the categories. So. Um, a six on the take, and his his take on this was discipline will win out against pain and loss. And I think he says that based on uh, both Kirk dealing with the shit with his family, and then Spock uh, fighting the fried egg the whole episode or whatever. Yeah, I would argue that Kirk is not particularly disciplined in this episode. Or As you ever. said, everybody rushes through everything. Yeah, they could have waited for that autopsy. She should have told him, well, I mean, it's going to take two minutes. So. <laughs> yeah, you can actually wait. It's not going to Hey, guys, don't long. do anything wild for two minutes. Like, the whole planet down there is already, like, infected, right? Like, there's, those things are everywhere? Okay, then you can wait. Because they're already fucked by those fried eggs. Um, well, here's what I had. Uh, one in command must deny personal concerns in favor of the greater good. I feel like this is uh, the point of every TOS episode, and certainly last week it was the take. Um, I'm getting pretty bored of it. <laughs> so I gave it a four. You've had enough? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, like, I get it. You don't have to make the same point every week. We know it's hard to be in command, and we know that you got to make tough choices. But what? let's talk about something else. So, we disagree, because ah. you have this as a Kirk episode. Ah. I have it as a Spock episode. And what was your take? A good man will sacrifice himself joyfully to save others. 
Well, I mean, again, he is aggressively stoic about it. He, does he is not walk shitty going, about this in the least. He walks around going, It's good that I'm blind. I like being blind. I actually like it better than what I could see. I think it's better, so don't worry about it. That's not your fault, Dr. McCoy. In fact, I like what you did. I like what you did. I think it's a good look on me. Uh, and I think you should consider this as a regular treatment for people because it's so good. Uh, so Kirk says the next logical conclusion is that Spock's going to have to go on this goddamn thing. Yeah. It's not a great decision. He does not happy to make it, but, uh, it doesn't matter because before he can say one word to Spock, Spock shows up like, <laughs> well, my turn. <laughs> I'm going in there, right? It's my turn in the chamber. I booked it. Also, he volunteers to get, he has, he's the logical person to go down to the surface to catch a creature after his infection, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. He uh, he's never shitty at all about what happens to him in this. So you think the difference between this week and the other weeks that are the where it's like the greater good and the needs of the many and all that stuff that we've been talking about for TOS is that uh, just his unbelievable willingness to do it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's fucking willing for sure. He is very willing. Again, uh, he, he tries as to much beat as a, everyone I, up so that he can beam down to the planet and sacrifice right. himself some more. That's right. I gave it as much as a five. There was a big heroic era in medicine when a lot of stuff was being discovered about medicine where doctors were just injecting themselves with shit left and right to see if it would do anything or because they believed in their cure. That's what this is kind of a reference to here. Right. Like, Spock is going to jump all over this nonsense because it's the right thing to do and it doesn't endanger anyone else. And jump on a dang old fried egg. He'll get that fried egg all up in his business. I gave it five. I gave it a five-point take. How do you feel about how the episode executed? Uh, just a couple of general notes. Um, I felt like they were kind of light on Kirk's possible decision to wipe out the settlers on the planet. Yeah. Like, he wrings his hands once or twice about it. But it's pretty clear that he is prepared to do that. Yeah. No, yeah, I always believe that about Kirk. And they don't give it any time to sit, either. Like, he he comes to the conclusion that they'll have to do that if they can't find a cure. And then, by the way, he also knows what the cure is. So, yeah. it, never, it never becomes real. So, I think that's a little bit light. And then also, in the episode that tells us the most about Kirk's family and his relationship with his family, it gives us very, very little. Yeah, I did not have any idea he had a brother or anything. Right. And it won't matter going forward. No. That his brother... And, well, his he's brother not going to cry about it like happens with Picard when Rene bites it in that fire. He really is more upset about his nephew than he is about yeah. his brother. Well, his brother sure. was a piece of shit. Yeah, he did not... He did not there, I guess there was no reconciliation after all because he doesn't even mention his fucking brother. Yeah, 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 they fought in the grapes and then they got drunk and muddied up that woman's floor and everything. But yep. then when he got back on the ship, he was like, yeah, but you know what? He's still an he asshole. He was an asshole for like 50 years, so I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna let yeah, one day fix that. I'm not into this guy very much. So that's... Uh, those are the two general notes. Otherwise, uh, I gave it a six. Okay. I kind of like the creepy soundtrack from this episode. There yeah. were times where they were slinking around on the planet the first time they went down, where the music was different than it has been. And that's good, because they reused the same sound a lot. Um, I feel like they actually did fine, giving Kirk a lot to be angsty about. If you just... If you're okay with them just warping a family to, into existence for him. Um, but there was only really like a brief period, like you talked about, where Kirk had to consider eradicating everybody in order to stop the threat. 
Yep. And it's not like they knew Spock would go blind from the light treatment. Though they did seem, yeah. They found something I mean, they, risky about they it. They sort of worried about it, but it, they didn't... So it's not like there was a lot for Kirk to weigh the risks about. So the impact of the take that I have about I have to deny your personal concerns in favor of the greater good is kind of diminished. I mean, even Spock's blindness is comically short-lived. Yeah. They really did rule of TV. Everything has to be back to normal by the end of the episode. He just straight shows up on the bridge. He's like, nah, I'm cool. Everything's fine. Um, the effects were super cheesy. Um, I gave it a five. All right. Uh, ben, as we said, six is top and bottom. Uh, um, oh, yeah, you already said discipline. Uh, it's taken right from the invasion of the body snatchers. Uh, he wonders if this spawned the idea for the TNG season one finale. With the alien parasites? Because that's yeah. not the finale. That was the one before the finale, right? It, it is the one before the finale. The finale is the one with the Atlanta Braves fan. Um, Pit where were you on world building? Uh, this mass insanity has been sweeping through the galaxy in a fucking line for hundreds of years. Yep. Deneva was ori- uh, originally was colonized as a freighting line station. Yeah. But was thought to be among the most beautiful places in the galaxy. Well, like I said, it looks like somewhere in Southern California, some campus. He brings a yeoman to record everything that happens on the planet. Uh, he says something about planet Agrabi. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if that isn't with a question mark. So what you're saying is you didn't find a lot of world building. <laughs> These, wait, here. hold on. These flying fried egg aliens are resistant to phasers, despite being photosensitive. Not sure how that works. To shoot them with phasers, I have to shoot them a whole bunch to knock them down. But, like, they're sensitive to light. Yeah, but phasers aren't very bright. Yeah, I'm just saying they're made of light. Anyway. It's okay. This episode has a big scientific problem with the idea that light is different from other forms of radiation somehow, and that it's perfectly safe. Yeah. Whereas, if you shown the light intensity of the sun on someone, yeah, you would good. Uh, <laughs> reduce them to plasma instantly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Vulcans are somewhat resistant to this alien's influence. Um, 14 science labs seems like a lot for Enterprise, but okay. And where did they get 210 UV satellites? Yeah. Uh, three. I gave it a three. Yeah. Those are tough questions that don't have good answers. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I gave it a four. We're, um, we're pretty close on that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Private transmitter call signs. Okay. Uh, force three is kill. Uh, on phaser one or phaser two? Uh, I think they were using phaser two. Okay, phaser two, force three is kill. Yeah. Uh, sickbay has pain indicators. McCoy can tell how much pain you're in. Yeah. Gestalt life forms. Satellites as bright as the sun. Uh, Starship Captain has the purview to kill one million inhabitants of a Federation world. <laughs> Without asking. Just on his own. Let's be honest, that's what makes it a four. Yeah. Yes. He has wild authority. Can you imagine if a U.S. Navy captain had the authority to just wipe out an island? That would be bonkers, for sure. Without calling anybody. But I always say, the Federation lives like the ancient Chinese, dude. A general in the field, a general can in the field cannot be recalled. 
Okay, they yeah. can disobey even the Emperor. Um, Alright, well, how do you think the characterization was? Well, I thought we had a real solid Kirk here. Okay. When he's concerned about his family at first, he's a little short with Uhura. I didn't like that at all, by the way. Yeah, well, it's understandable. I'll talk about it. Later, he's pretty bummed about Spock. And then he tries to console... I'm sorry, console. He tries to console McCoy. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't read my own notes. Yeah, I do that sometimes, too. (laughs) I also thought it was a pretty good Bones. And, in fact, generally, I didn't think there were any real strong misses with characterization. I gave it nine. Whoa! Yeah. Okay, damn. Holy shit. Have you ever given a nine? Uh, for characterization, probably not. Jesus. All right. Well, let me uh, let me go here. Um, Kirk is on a personal mission to save his brother Sam, and it makes him yelly. <laughs> he clearly has personal drive to save Spock and his nephew, but he balances it with the need to stop the spread of this shit to other places. Uh, Uhura did a good job of not taking Kirk's dumb crap. Yeah, she got, I think she, uh, she can overhear herself. on the bridge that his family's down there. Yeah. Because he's just, like, being a real Picard in that scene. Like when Picard yells at Worf about the view screen. Bosses, <laughs> dude. It's true. <laughs> Spock is... It's true, bosses suck. <laughs> Spock is so damn eager to help that he'll beat up everyone in engineering. <laughs> and he's willing to die to stop it from spreading. Uh, he's again aggressively stoic in his acceptance of his new blindness. Uh, McCoy isn't willing to sacrifice everybody to stop this alien threat. Do you suppose he's embarrassed that he spent a long time trying to figure out how to stop these little dudes, and Kirk came up with the solution like just as a just out of nowhere? Yeah, probably. That's probably pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, McCoy takes the blame for Spock's blindness, which was only temporary, um, but it shows that even though they fight a lot, they're, they are um, nature's best friends. <laughs> uh, I gave it a good score mainly on account of Spock, and I gave it a six. I, didn't, I see. I didn't think it was... Uh, you didn't go... You didn't give it as good a score as I did. Yeah. yeah. So we're actually fairly far apart on this one, too, I think, when the numbers are in, but uh, what do you have for quickies? Asian ladies getting a lot of play as extras on the Enterprise lately. I've seen one walking around on the bridge. Um, you never hear much about Kirk's brother, huh? Nope. Just he's, he's going to be real private about this one. <laughs> uh, of course, they call the planet, and the person who picks up is uh, Sam's wife? Or did they call her on purpose? They called uh, his private transceiver. Okay. Because uh, I was going to say, this ain't one of those planets with two dudes on it. Like, that would be a crazy coincidence. Right. Um... These dudes brought clubs to a phaser fight. Those first dudes. That was their mistake. The guys who were shouting that we didn't want to hurt you. I guess the amoebas didn't know about phasers, or maybe this freighting station didn't have many phasers. They just had some of those engineering pipes. They just had some of those great engineering rods that they always have hanging around. (laughs) Unless it was a transporter room rod. I don't remember which rooms have them. Um... Uh, whatever is happening to these people, it hasn't affected their vanity because this lady is fucking dripping in makeup. That is true. She was really made she, up. She got dressed up for the crazy. <laughs> uh, what fucking weird tool was that dude carrying when he attacked Spock? It looked like a donut on a stick. <laughs> what, did, what did that tool do? Uh, he just—it's just something that they keep in the gym for when they're doing tumbling and stuff. That's for rhythmic gymnastics. <laughs> oh, it's like a baton or something. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Spock didn't realize he was blind until he stood up to walk away, which seems weird. Yep. He like, or he, I guess he just didn't want to accept it. It's weird that he walked right he, into the edge of that table. He thought he was going to walk it off. Yep. I, in, his head, in his head, he was like, walk it off, Spock. Walk it off. It's like he should have immediately gone, uh, well, I think it worked, but I'm totally blind. Yep. Instead of stumbling into shit. Spock and I are very different. It would make me so embarrassed to hear somebody praise me, and I would definitely pretend I never heard it. But Spock no, makes sure yeah, everyone knows exactly. he overheard the compliment about him. I would be like, oh god, stop talking about me, stop talking about me, stop talking about me. Uh, that's all I had. Uh, love that Kirk's brother Sam is just Shatner in a mustache. <laughs> We didn't talk about it. It's a great reveal. It lasts one second, but it's perfect. Hold on. Hold on. They just put a fake on. mustache on Shatter and had him roll over. Hold on. Let me see this. Let me see this image here. Did you fucking not get that? You know, sometimes with TOS, I'm looking away from the screen a lot. Oh, you got to look at it. That's I'm looking half at a fun. picture right now, and yeah. Wow, they really did just... They really did just put Kirk in a mustache. I fucking assumed you would say that, because I, I saw... It. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, hey. That's something. Uh, this lady's got a big old butt chin. Yeah. I said about the sister-in-law. That's true. Uh, we see Nurse Chapel again. She occasionally shows up. Usually when it's Spock-related, right? Yep. Nothing lethal about light, says a doctor who should have his degree revoked. (laughs) You know, I I get the feeling that Bones isn't a very good doctor. (laughs) I think, uh, whatever, uh weirdness drove him into space uh he may also not have had a great medical practice on earth i think you're right by the way that there is some kind of mania that has driven him into space well, we know we've it. already met though that one woman in his life yeah. like uh we know he's had some troubles and we know some he troubles. hates most things about space so why yes. is he out why there? is he there yeah exactly we need to get more into this star trek come on Hey, at the end when they're joking about Vulcan eyes and Vulcan ears, I wondered if it was supposed to be a play on fucking eyes and fucking ears. Like, <laughs> you, you were so worried about his fucking eyes, you forgot about his fucking ears. Maybe. Uh, and then my last quick hitter, end of season one. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that This was... is the last episode of the first uh, Star Trek season, so they got 29 of the goddamn things in. Entirely going to be in season two. That's right. In fact, we can't be too far from season three on something like Voyager, right? Because oh. that had a short season one. Yeah, I think that was episode what fourteen of season yeah. two. Oh, we're probably only about we're about we're more than halfway through Voyager yeah. season two. Maybe another ten weeks or something. Uh, I gave best actor to James Kirk and worst actor to Samuel <laughs> Kirk. <laughs> he didn't do corpse very well, did he? I did some dang old math. Oh, wow, the math has already I, been done. Okay. I did some math on this. The spreadsheet did all the adding for me. Oh, that's good. But I did some, uh, I, I, you know, I pulled I pulled it down. Okay. Uh, the winner this week, by one single point, Operation Annihilate. Uh, that's my fault. Yeah. I give it nine points for characterization. Well, if you feel it, earned it. That's fair. <clears throat> and that uh, 24 that I gave it is uh, top... Uh, Top 10% score, and that 25 that I gave Sanctuary. DS9. Uh, which was my winner of the week. We were is actually uh, my all-time top score, 
Well, no, it's not. I give it 26, but it's in the top 1% of all episodes. I was for me. very surprised by that. And I think that's why you were, like you already said you were asking me about DS9 because you were even surprised by it. I was surprised by but it. But you when see I, that we were off by nine points on that one. We were nine different on that. So that's pretty bad. That was our big separation this uh, week. We were although off I was by also seven points in everything. I, <laughs> I was also seven ahead of you on Outrageous O'Connor. Yep. <sighs> And five behind you on Dead Stop, and five behind you on Alliances. I so, weirdly yeah. enjoyed the Voyager and Enterprise more than you. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I didn't enjoy most of these. The only one of these that I enjoyed watching was Okana. <laughs> Which, of course, we got the worst score of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I gave it an uh, 11. Couple of standouts. Couple of standouts. Uh, you gave a pretty bad score to Okana, <laughs> particularly <Sorry>. Execution. <sighs> yep. Um, We... I mean, combined, our combined execution score is a five. So that was, uh, year 11 was top, uh, bottom 25%, as was our five. So. Yeah. Well, O'Connor l- sucked. Real bad. And uh, Dead Stop got a total of four points for characterization, <laughs> which is also bottom 25%. Yep. A Carbon Creek only got a three, so. Uh, Week-wise, decent week. Mostly green. Um. The average this week was 36, which is yeah. above the total average. And uh, my 19.2 is top 10%. And also top 10% for premise this week. Wow. All right. So uh, really uh, a fairly strong week on the heels of three or four very five bad weeks in a row. Looks like five bad weeks in a At row. These five that weren't amazing. I mean, uh, yeah. twenty-five and twenty-six were just, were just meh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the last episode, the last week we had that was better than this by the scores was week twenty-three, which averaged yes. thirty-six point six, and <laughs> which included "We'll Always Have Paris," not as the week winner. No, it's because basically there were three bad episodes and two good ones, but the two good ones scored so high that it lifted the whole week up. So um, a fourteenth win for TOS. Could yeah. very close to being a fourth win for Deep Space Nine. It was close. Which would have put Deep Space Nine in kind of a commanding position. But even so, man, they all they keep doing is improving their average or whatever. Yep. I mean, yes, they indeed. They didn't last week, but other than that. Yep, their average score now is uh, 30.93, so they're almost a full point ahead of Enterprise and uh, two and a half points ahead of Voyager. But they still have to pick up another three and a half to catch Next Generation. Well, which is a pretty significant jump. What are we looking at for next week? What's uh, what's on the docket? Next week we've got a muck time. I remember that uh, one. So that'll be great, particularly musically. Yep. We have loud as a whisper. That's, that won't be great, but let's see. I don't know. I have a feeling we could have a lot of fun though. <laughs> we might have a lot to talk about with loud as a whisper and uh. By the way, the losers this week, the episodes we'll be watching first next week are uh, Dead Stop. We're Dead Stop and Outrageous Okana, so Enterprise and Next Generation will get the early billing next week. So yeah. we'll have lots of time to spend on Loud as a Whisper. Turns out season two of TNG sucks. Who knew? Well, so far it has. Uh, we're watching Rivals. Rivals is the name of a Deep Space Nine episode that okay. I don't remember. Threshold, Matt, you're going to have to help oh, no. me. Is that the one where they turn oh, into alligators? Oh, no, that very that really sounds like that's the one where they turn into catfish alligators. I might have some science ideas based <laughs> on that episode. Uh, I have an article to send you then. 
And uh, we're watching A Night in Sick Bay for Enterprise. Oh, sounds like a bottle that episode. That does sound like a bottle. It sounds like it's right in the title. It should just be called Bottle mm, Episode. Now, having said that, I have typically scored Enterprise's bottle episodes higher than their adventure episodes. Well, don't let it affect you, you yet. You know, let's make so sure we'll see. do our due diligence. There's reason to hope, I guess, Enterprise. You can still stay ahead of Voyager. Although, Voyager put up 10 points on you this week. Yeah. We didn't mention it, but Voyager's 39 this week. Oh, yeah. Also pretty good. I don't know. The last also time an episode I didn't point. enjoy. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm trying to see the last time Voyager put up something that high. Uh... Oh, Phage, probably. My <laughs> guess is the last Voyager episode that scored 39 was Phage. I just saw Twisted that put up a 9. Well, Voyager only has one win, so... Yeah, seriously. Uh, I just keep going back. Prime Factors, episode 9, had a 39 as well. Yep. But you gotta reach. So, I mean, good for them? (laughs) You know, is that just because this episode is about the Delta Quadrant? Yeah, they just did a thing that was about a thing. Prime Factors was a Prime Directive episode, of course. We talked about all the reasons why it wasn't great. Yeah. But they tried to do a thing. Yep. Um, So... Some stuff to look forward to for next week. Um, and then, or two weeks from now, next week again will be a mailbag. So send us mail. Yeah. Otherwise, we will just end up probably talking about music. That's what we seem to lock in on. Yeah. Although, we probably have a lot to say about Dynasty Warriors 9. Just if I had to guess. <laughs> that could be, yeah. Tweet us uh, at BrotherDate. You can go to BrotherDate.com for the episodes as well as iTunes. Um... And we will see you soon. Bye bye. I mean, maybe, maybe he's been, maybe he's been banging BB Robinson. Has he been, by the way, I found my name for the other one. I called her Slim Doyle. Slim Doyle was pretty good. Please subscribe.